All right, hello everybody. Nice to see you all here in our first show since before the Six Invitational. We had a one-off with Fabian that was very hastily put together. I have no doubt that you could say nothing this whole show and you'd be a better guest. So, uh, <laughs> our guest today is a man that we tried to get on this show earlier on, but unfortunately, uh, he, alongside his teammates, were moving from Houston, Texas to Las Vegas and were not capable of coming on the show at the time, but we have hot and cold today, Matthew Stevens as I always refer to you by your real human name. Welcome. Yeah, hello. There he, he is. Was, uh, he was shitting on me, you know, a little bit. They could but. hear me, they just couldn't hear you. That's just a long-running gag. When I said you couldn't say anything for the whole episode, you'd be better than Fabian, and well, here we are. So, uh, yes, I do, I do like to say your name every single cast. It's very similar to Spencer Oliver slash Slashug. Um but no, welcome to the show. I've uh, I've been meaning to have you on here for a while. Uh, unfortunately, for everybody that's watching, before we get into it, uh, Troy is still on his extended break slash sabbatical, whatever he's calling it. Um, he begrudgingly came out of retirement for the Six Invitational, uh, which didn't really help Space Station. Um, but he's back in retirement now. And as such, he has said that he wants to focus on that. And instead of being on the show or doing anything rainbow six he still wants a bit of a break uh the, he will be back at some point he is not permanently leaving the show so i apologize that you don't get to talk to him and because he mentioned on the show a while back actually that you were the most annoying person to play against he said that you were the yeah. player that he hated playing against the most so i watched that yeah yeah so it would have been nice and to the, work that in which i, I feel like it's kind of weird because <sighs> You know, I feel like this is the best time for him to do this this stuff. Yeah, it, it is strange to me. It's like you're you're not competing. All you're doing is you've joined you've joined the peanut gallery with Skies in England, just tweeting nonstop about the matches while they're going on. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've been following any of it. I think is wonderful. Yeah, I think it's really good, honestly. For uh, for everybody here that's not familiar. Uh, Canadian, England, and Skies, now that none of them are active competitors, go to Twitter every single playday and are very thorough about what's going on and how things are changing round by round and providing analysis that we are not really capable of doing in a live match, but I think is wonderful from their perspective. So I, uh, I've been enjoying it. No try on the show, but that's okay. You've got me. Now, let's start off with your backstory. I'm certain because you are a relatively well-known character in the scene one of the most well-known in north america and probably even all of professional rainbow six you've probably told your backstory a number of times but yep. just in case nobody has heard it yet how did you get started in rainbow six why rainbow six and take us through the beginnings of your career well i mean i think before rainbow i was just playing a lot of csgo and i found out that i wasn't like insane at that game like i was good but I wasn't like insane, so obviously I wasn't gonna go anywhere. I really never really like planned to like go anywhere in esports. Um, but I saw, I think it was, I don't know if you've heard of the streamer Darkness, like four two nine or something. He was actually a good he friend. Was, he was a good friend of Bloodbaths, actually. He was like one of the first people I watched play Rainbow, like when I think the, the open beta came out, and I think it was free at that time in December. So. I just like hopped on my cousin's computer and we're just like taking turns playing it. And I don't know, ever since then, like I just always played it. 
I think I stopped playing it for a little bit, but then like when it actually came out, I like I I started replaying it again. Was your cousin Nix or is that another cousin? No, it actually it actually wasn't Nix. It was uh my cousin Preston. How many of there are you? Like <laughs> how many of you are there, I guess I, I could say if I don't mix that out. Like is it is there have they been breeding you to compete in Rainbow Six? I mean in the in the gaming world, like it's weird because my whole family basically plays games. You know, like all our dads like started gaming and that's kinda like how we started. But like obviously me and Nick's are the only ones in professional siege. Um outside of that, I would say the only other person that plays sometimes is like my cousin Preston. I believe I know Preston, by the way, is Preston Relax? Yeah. Yes, okay, I know Preston. Uh when you got involved, that would have been 2016, correct? That would have been the winter of 2016? Or would that have been 2015, right, when it first came out? Um, I, I didn't play when all the logos were, like, changed for the operators. So I yeah, because like it went from the that. weird hand-drawn logos yeah. to the ones that they are now that have now been changed again. I, w- I want to say it was, like, December. When did the first beta come out? That would have been 2015, because the game launched in 2015. 2016 was Red Crow. So if you were playing before uh, Red Crow, then I, you would have been in 2015. Yeah, I was playing before that. Yeah, because like, I started I in Red be- Crow. I played before, like, Buck and, and Frost came out, which I was the first one, I think. So Yeah, that was the first season. So yeah, it would have been... Yeah, for you, it would have been, like, December-ish 2015. Um, what was it about... You came from CSGO. You were, you were a young lad. You are still very young. <laughs> Uh, even though you've been around for eternity, you're not an old, you're not an old fart. What was it about Rainbow Six? Did you have any previous experience with Tom Clancy games or experience with Rainbow Six prior? I don't think I've ever played a different, like another Tom Clancy or Rainbow Six game. Um, I don't know. I've always liked competitive games more so than like single player games or like story player or like story games. So... Like, I don't know, I tried it just once, and I, I just liked, I, I was better than people, you know, just off the start. <laughs> like, I, I, I played the recruit with the, with the R4C, like Ash's gun, and it was just, it was just free kills. It, it still is. Um, we saw you on, we saw you on Ash last, last stage. It was still free kills. Was I playing Ash last stage? When I feel like you played Ash recently, I don't think it was consistent. But I've saw maybe, you on I saw you on Ash some I saw you on Ash somewhat recently, and I was like, it's nice to have him back. Yeah, no one no one seems to remember me on Ash. Played support for for so long. You were the ultimate Ash main. Yeah, I used my I used my ping to my advantage back then. Kicks would rant about it whenever we would be casting you, and you would be on Ash. We'd talk about it frequently, but. What was it about Rainbow Six, other than the fact that you were obviously talented at it? And I think most people here that have ever picked up a game and just been innately good at it can obviously relate to this. But beyond that, was there anything outside of your own technical skill that kept you around Rainbow Six? Um, I mean, just the way the game flows, like, there's no other game like it. You know, whether it's the bad or good of uh, Rainbow Six, there's just... There will never be a game like it. it. All the all the destruction on the walls, like 
you know, CSGO has nothing like that. Um, all the different operators, it kind of reminded me of like a MOBA too. Like I played a lot of League of Legends and CSGO, so it was kind of like a mix of both. It was a, for me, it was a very innovative game. I grew up on Tom Clancy games. Like I was, the amount of Ubisoft titles I had when I was a kid was insane. You know, um, Splinter Cell was one of my favorite series for a while. Uh, I played like the original Rainbow Six back in like the early 2000s. So for me, it was very different. And yeah, I, I feel the same way. I've been getting into League recently. You and I actually played last night. Um, but I've been getting into League recently. And the thing that I love about MOBAs is you never, you almost never stop learning. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I it's, the, it's the same in Rainbow Six. Like, you know, Every week, you know, even like Coconut Brawley puts out a video and I'll watch that video and I'll learn, you know, five new things just from watching that video that I, that I don't know. And I have, you know, obviously an insane amount of hours in this game. It's, I'm, still, I'm still learning stuff like every day. The, thing that he, the things that he finds in the game are just so puzzling because he will go and he'll like quickly sprint or then walk and then crouch and turn around and like fall off a ledge. I remember watching some video he did on Canal where it was like, he got up on like some railing on canal and then like crouched and like turned around. And he like fell, but because he was prone, he stayed on a ledge like in the middle of the building. And it's just like, how do you find that kind of stuff? You know, like so. Uh, that's the that's the cool thing about the game. And I mean, it. I'm sure as a pro player, it probably frustrates you. As a caster, it frustrates me that we don't have the same kind of free flowing practice mode that CS:GO and Valorant now has as well. How nice would it be to go in and just be able to continuously like do procedural destruction and line up C4s and line up grenades and stuff like that without having to like waste a round or go back to the lobby? It'd be so much better because like, yeah, like you said, like we're already doing that kind of stuff, but you know, it's taking five times the amount of time it would if we just had that, you know, type of free flowy, um, like I guess dev build, you would call it. Yeah. You know, I'd be able to throw like, you know, 500 nades and however so um, seconds compared to you know having to refuel the <laughs> the nades every time in a, in a terror sun or something. I remember back in the day, Kix tells this story somewhat frequently. There was like a glitch where you had like unlimited grenades or you could like duplicate items or whatever, and he went into a custom server all on his own and he was like lining up grenades and he got banned by a fair fight way back in the day because it thought yep. that he was exploiting all because he had to. He had to literally abuse an exploit that was accidentally in the game because we don't have those tools for ourselves, right? It was when uh, when we went to Valorant, we did we went into a, a practice mode with one of the coaches of one of the pro teams, and he literally was just like zip, just like with CS:GO, he's just zipping around the map. He was switching out, you know, which agent he wanted, and he was showing us like lineups for flashes and lineups for arrows and stuff like that. And he's like, "This is a very common spot." And then I was just like, "Man, I'm learning more." in 20 minutes by this time we would have created a lobby shown me one round of rainbow six and we'd be back in the lobby under the same time frame so we'd be still we'd be still in prep phase yeah exactly <laughs> so and uh it is obviously a point of frustration but I, i'm hoping that i'm hoping at some point that some changes will come i know that for a period of time the issues that they had that i had heard or that the engine like never stops running so that procedural destruction like can't be undone which is why there are issues with kill cams and issues with replays from time to time because sometimes it can't like replicate the destruction that's being done accurately 
Uh, that was also the reason that I was told that we couldn't pause the online game, but now we can do that. So I'm wondering if they're starting to figure it out because that would be great. But yeah, I mean, I know they have like they literally have everything that we you know we just talked about. So yeah. I know it's like it's possible. It's just about like I don't getting it to you know everyone else. Yeah, I've played a dev build at the UBHQ. I'm sure you probably have for playtests as well. So like it yeah. it exists, right? It's just whether we can use it or not. But so just going back to your background story now. You played, you were good at the game. I mean, obviously there's a one big asterisk there is that there were a lot of people who were very good at the game in the first couple months who mm-hmm. don't play anymore. So for you at the time that the game comes out you were what you were 16 years old 15 years old something like that i was either 16 or 2015 i think i was 16 yeah what had you ever played like competitive csgo had you ever played any games at like an actual competitive level or was it just like oh this is fun i'll just play this because i'm good at it um the only thing competitive i played in was like a Sevo open team for CSGO. Never really like actually did anything, you know, played a couple matches and then I also was on like a League of Legends team for some I don't know, random tournament for for a little bit too. But outside of that, like I don't know. I didn't have, you know, any clue of what esports actually like was besides just like watching it. And back in 2015, I don't think many people had a pretty good understanding of it either. Frankly, I mean, esports was, it's still in its infancy now, but it certainly was six years ago. Who was the first person that you met that got you into competitive gaming? Because you stuck with the same core of people, well, up until a couple months ago, pretty much for your entire career. So who was it that you first connected with? And Siege? Yeah. Um... The first person, actually, that I connected with, you know, obviously you guys probably think I'm like Mint or Poge, but they actually came like a little bit later, was uh, Slash Hug. You know, I was on my first ever team with Slash Hug. I think it was first his first team, too. It's called like Blue Esports, I think, or something like that. And we, we were actually the B team. We weren't even on the A team. They had two teams at the time. And that team was awful. <laughs> we were We were terrible. Like, we were... We were, yeah, we were terrible. So, like, the first chance I, I got, you know, I started looking for other teams, and that's kind of, like, how I joined Mint and Pojo. They just, they made a Reddit post, and they tried me out in a ranked game, and, and I carried, so they, and then I, I made the team. That's all it takes. It's just a good performance in ranked? Yep. That's, I mean, that's all it was back then. Unless you're, like, you know, like, the top three teams, I guess. Um, you would just get tried out in ranked because, like, ranked was actually hard back then. Like, I don't know. Is because there was no is because there's no battle eye. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, ranked's hard now, but like in a different way, I guess. I uh, ranked is hard now because nobody knows how to play it. Which I mean, was yeah. probably correct back then too, because nobody knew what they were doing, but for very different, very different reasons, right? Yeah. So you were on Gotham Gaming. Who was the who was the original Gotham roster when you joined them? After Blue, after you were the B team of Blue Gaming or whatever it was called. Um, Gotham Gaming was in Pro League for most of the games 
before I joined, I only played with them for the last two games of, of the first Pro League season. And that roster was me, Pojo Man, uh, Crimson Death, King George, and Easy Peasy. The Magnum God himself. The Magnum God, yep. As Pez so, Lemon Squez. Yeah. Um, basically got him, or uh, not got him. Our team before Nemesis broke up and joined Gotham, and then Mint went to VWS for Clever, the cheater. If none of you guys know who that is, just go look up some videos, you'll find some. Very important that you always follow it up with that. Clever, the cheater, just in case people forget the connection there. Mm -hmm. So Mint goes to VWS, eventually at some point he returns to the team. Yeah, he... Went to the Season 1 LAN, they had to play Penta, and they got absolutely demolished by Penta. I think they won the first round. Um, like, Mint got it like a 3k, and then they, they made them replay the round because of a bug, and then they just got slaughtered after that. <laughs> like, they just looked so, they, they, they look so defeated after that round. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, well, it was weird because... I was technically playing Pro League Underage at that time, and my teammates did not know. So when the second season came around, they ESL got, you know, their rules got a lot more strict with, uh, you know, showing IDs and stuff. So I sat out basically all of season two until I turned 18, which was, again, the last two games. You mean so you didn't just forge your identity like maybe some other players that were in the league who also nah. allegedly played underage? I definitely probably could have done that, you know, looking back, but I, I just, I did not want to risk it, you know. At, th at that, that time was kind of weird for me because it was like such a long time until I turned 18. I think it was like six months, which for me, that was a long time, but yeah, looking back on it, it probably wasn't that long. So I, I ended up like kind of like quitting siege for a little bit and mint was like yo like you need to come back you're you know you're almost 18 and that's what kind of like led me back but at that time that was when mint and pojo man were on uh flip side they just started flip side with like george easy peasy exclusive zilchi was on that team for a period of time as well no that was later was that later that was la yeah that was later that was when they went to land to play against Yunctus. yeah and they barely and yeah, and they barely lost. Yeah. No, I don't know if that was Poland. Unless they went to Poland back-to-back. -back. I was. I thought that I saw one of the ESL videos where they were doing the walkthrough in the parking lot. And I was pretty sure Zilchi was there. I could, Zilchi, be, I could be wrong. Zilchi, Zilchi went with us to Poland the, the next season. Okay. It could have been that one. I get all the early seasons that I wasn't involved. I get very confused still to this day. Because... Yeah. It was like, oh, we're going to Poland. Oh, we're going to England. Oh, we're going back to Poland. Oh, we're going back to England. Like, and then all the teams and all the orgs don't matter because they're changing so much, right? So. Yeah. So, yeah. So, season two, um, I only played the last couple games with uh, actually like Vex Esports at the time, which That's had, a remorse, had Remorse, Crimson Death, Daps, and Top Kick, which... Daps, that guy stole my freaking prize pool money after that season. How did he? How did he steal your prize pool money? Because ESL at the time would always give the teams money like 
you know, way after the the actual uh, season or tournament. That wait, wait, was wait. you say at the time as if that somehow stopped? It's gotten better, okay? As as if better. as if somehow payments have started arriving on time. But ESL was specifically bad at that. And at that time, you know, it was like five months after or something. And I think it just got all sent to DAPS and he just kept all the money. Because he wasn't even in the scene anymore. At that point, the prize pools were so small, that was probably like yeah. a couple thousand bucks at most, right? I think it was, because we were like a sixth place team, I think. It was <laughs> only like 500 bucks for me, but still, you know, it's just the, it's just the thought of it. That's just annoys me more than the actual money itself. I mean, yeah, the principle's irritating, but I mean, 500 bucks for an 18-year-old is a lot of money, frankly, unless you come from a wealthy family, especially if you're playing video games. Yeah, I mean, that's another hard part with, you know, I guess my story is my parents did not like me playing video games, especially during the time, uh, especially my last year of high school. I put most of my time into Siege, you know, probably, probably, uh, probably a little dumbly. And my parents also like split up that, that last year of Siege or that last year of high school. So I was just like in a weird mindset back then. And my grades kind of like dropped because usually my, my grades were like, you know, all A's and B's. And it was like weird for my parents to see my grades drop that much. And they basically like blamed it on, on Rainbow. Were they right? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say they were right. I mean, I was just like lazier than I should have been back then. I could have easily done Rainbow and, you know, done my homework, but I just, I just chose not to. I just was not like in the, the school mindset back then. You were too busy fragging. <laughs> yeah, underage. The grinder mindset, right? No, I do not recommend anyone doing that. Yeah, and I, I'm in the same boat as you. You feel like you have a responsibility to dissuade people from taking basically the same path that you took whenever yeah. people ask you? People, yeah, every time someone asks me, I'm just like, you know, you're, if you're still underage and you're in school, like, get your school done first. If you're good enough to go pro, like, you can do it after. You know, I, if, I, if I could go back, I would probably do that. You know, I would... I would definitely put a lot more focus into school than pro play because, you know, I was underage. Like, I shouldn't have even been a pro at that time anyways. I feel like it's tough because you see a lot of people in North America. This is almost uniquely North American, is that there's this goal to chase fame and fortune. And I don't know if you've seen it, but they always do. They try to do, like, every decade, they do, you know, most desirable careers. And basically everywhere but North America, it's things like doctor, astronaut, like lawyer. And then in North America, it's like YouTuber, Instagram star, TikToker. And it's just, it's, I don't know. I mean, can we confidently talk about this? Because we both made it, quote unquote, like doing what we're now telling people don't do. It's a hypocritical, yeah. do you think? It's just... It's so it's like a weird topic to like even talk about because you know part of me just wants to say like you know like go try and achieve your dreams but it your dreams have to be like somewhat achievable in the first place because 
you know, my, my dream was achievable. I didn't know it was my dream until like, you know, it was around that time, but it became achievable. And that's kind of like why I went for it. But I, you know, I didn't go into it thinking like, you know, this is something I can do. I'm going to do it. I mean, and now you live off of it. You just posted the other day, you bought a car. I did. You bought a very, ni- f- bought a very nice car. My, yeah. Not my first car I bought, but my, my, my first car, that's actually nice. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, sure, and I'm not trying to denigrate people here, but, like, you you grind for esports, and you turn around, you buy, like, a 2006 Honda Civic, you know, with 120,000 miles on it. A little bit different than buying, you know, a brand new Tesla, which is what you did. And, you know, you're, you get to travel, you know, I'm obviously not going to ever ask how much players make, but I know a general idea of the salaries that players make. You are living a very comfortable life, you know, so it's like... You've made it in this regard, and I personally, I don't think it is hypocritical. If anything, I think it's more important that people like us give a sober perspective for people. You know, like I've I had somebody DM me, I want to say, sometime last year, who's like, you know, I'm I'm a plat two, uh, I'm in my last year of of high school, I really want to go pro. What should I do? And I said, I hate to say it, but if you're only a plat two and you've never never competed in any amateur leagues, you've never gotten above that you're probably better served focusing on school. You know, I hate to say it, but at this point, especially where Rainbow is in its lifespan, like the likelihood of Rainbow having more than five years left, I would say is significantly lower than it was a couple of years back. So what happens? You're, you know, you're 17, 18 now. Let's say the game starts to fall off in four years. You're 22 years old. What do you do? Like, where do you go? Right? And this is already a problem we've seen with a number of the people who've retired or been not good enough to hang. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's like, what do they do? Not everybody's lucky to be able to go back to school like Avian is, right? Yeah, I would say like a lot of those people just have rich families, honestly, that yeah. from what I've noticed. And they're okay with, you know, not doing anything for, but, you know, even me, like I've put a lot of thought into it. Just like right now, I'm just basically saving money um also doing a lot of stocks with my brother and you know at the very like least i have money to go back to school yeah so i mean obviously you know that's not something i would want to do but um it's always there for me so i at least have like that as like a backup well i want to touch on this later because what i'm doing and what we've tried to do is towards the end of the show we'll spend the last half hour asking the same questions to basically everybody and i'm still trying to sort out which questions i like but one of those questions is if rainbow six was to end tomorrow what would you do is there a favorite career path we can get to that at the end of the show because we are now in the Gotham gaming chapter of your life but we have to get to the flip side tactics uh chapter of your life so you get picked up by f3 you go to f3 tell us the story as to how flipside enters the scene because at this particular point in esports history flipside is a relatively big organization with some good teams across a wide variety of games and for a scene like rainbow six to have f3 join was pretty big at the time well i wasn't there actually from the start when flipside first got picked up at the time they were called trinity esports the team and they went to land to play um, against like Youngtis and stuff. They almost beat Youngtis, who ended up winning. And I think after that, Flipside messaged uh, George, which was like the team manager, King George. 
and basically wanted to pick them up and, and they went with them. So obviously like joined already when they were flip side after that. So uh, yeah, after that season, they cut exclusive and they tried me out basically on support roles in scrims and then I went like insane and then uh, basically got picked up after that. So you're being support. You're being primed and ready for your eventual eventual move the retirement home yep you know they already knew i was i was gonna turn into an old man grow a beard so they were just getting me ready you yeah, still so for, you still had one of the best tweets i think your tweet was something like i turned 21 and they put me on thermite something you tweeted like a while back and i remember just yeah. looking at that and being like ain't that the truth right yeah so yeah my first season on like actual good team was was on support which was different for me at the time but I, I mean i knew i could do it it ended up not going the best because i was not used to it and we ended up getting third which isn't terrible but it's like we at that time we didn't make it didn't make land well, actually we i think we got fourth because i think the top three teams went to land at that time in na yes yeah so yeah. we got fourth we didn't end up making it and then King George, which me and me and King George like argued a lot on the team back then. Um, I'm sure if you know George, you know he likes to argue. Um, Very out of character for him. Yeah. So at the end of the season, you know they didn't, we didn't make land. So George kind of put the blame onto me and kind of like forcibly got me kicked from the team. And then after that, I think like a week after I got kicked. Um, he got an offer to join CTM or Continuum. And, you know, that's that's kind of like where he... I think that was a season, actually, that they go on to win Invite. Yes, it was, because they won, they won season three with Retro, and yep. then they drop Retro and pick up George for SI 2017. Yeah, so as soon as George left to join Continuum, Mint uh, messaged me back, you know, like, yo, we want you back, um, you know, come over here. And I, you know, at that time, I I didn't really care about like getting cut. I didn't hold, I didn't like hold any grudges against them because it was a team decision. I would say most of it was on George, but at the end of the day, it was a team decision. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't care. You know, I knew that was my best shot at doing something in that game, so I I just joined immediately. Would you say that the George's decision was very short lived? Uh, yes, I would say. The question was rhetorical, but I appreciate you weighing in. Um, that was an, that was an interesting period in time. I, I mean, obviously, you're always going to blame the support players first. It happens on every single team. I think, actually, he's in the chat or was in the chat right now. I think Super talked about it where it's like the support players, I was the first person to get dropped, right? Just as, I mean, in League, who do you blame first? support or the jungle usually always gets the blame first and then it's like you look at csgo or you look at call of duty or you look at us you know and, and i think the same thing kind of extends a little bit to overwatch is that oftentimes the tanks get blamed first and i mean it's obviously not great but do you think that's just do you think there's any merit to it do you think there's any merit to the fact that the support players are generally the reason why a team underperforms, or do you think that it's just a lack of understanding or egos and arrogance guiding the people to arrive at that conclusion? Um, 
I think, I mean, there's definitely circumstances where it is the case, you know, your support player just is not, is not cutting it. But for the most part, it's usually, you know, the latter. Uh, people like to look at stats. And back then, like, stats were, you know, the only thing we had, basically, to look at. So it's, it, it just makes sense for support players to kind of get the, you know, the, the end of the stick, I guess, or the short stick at, at that time. I think nowadays it's a little better. There's still, you know, times or or teams that look at it more than others do, but it's definitely gotten a lot better. You know, supports actually have respect for the most part. I don't know if teams have fully figured out how to use support players correctly either, and this is something I want to talk about with DZ because I've spoken with a number of former Dark Zero players, and, well, you also happen to be one of those. How coincidental. Um about the way that they use their supports. And then you can go back, and the, the point of comparison that I always give is Na'Vi. Or, or Snook and Nose when Meepy was on the team. In a lot of ways, Meepy would play support roles. And, you know, you're hard-pressed to find a, a harder support than Kendrew was. But both of them played such a different style than you see elsewhere. I mean, now look at Brite. Brite is like the lead standard in EU for support players. And... Yeah. You know, you look at a lot of North American teams and they don't structure themselves like that. So there's obviously like a philosophy behind it that we'll get into later on. But sticking with Flipside, let's let's burn through this. So you're with Flipside. Uh, the core of this team sticks together for a while. And I want to ask you a question and, and see just what your response is to this. Kicks one time said that the group of Flipside were more interested in being good but being together than being good and apart would you say that that was accurate with flipside back in the day i i definitely think so uh we were we were basically like a family you know um i don't think like a lot of people said we focused more on you know being friends and business which i i don't really think so most of the time uh, but even though, like, in, in most people's eyes, we had, like, slightly worse players than the best players, we always, like, held our own against the best players. You know, we, we just, we always had, like, the best teamwork, the, the most, you know, interesting strats. We always put more time in than anyone. And that's kind of, like, what led us to, you know, being a top team in NA for, for so long. Did it ever get tiring hearing things be referred to as, like, flip side? Every time somebody would pull out a weird site, or every time somebody would pull out a weird operator lineup, or a strange gadget choice, everybody would just be like, no, learning from Flipside. Was it flattering, or did it ever get old? Um, I don't think it ever got old. It was it was more so funny. It's like, when, whenever any team pulled out a weird strat, it's like, oh, they got this from Flipside. We just, we had no idea. <laughs> we had no idea, like, you know, where it even came from. I think... It was funny because we we scrimmed CTM um, that season and they did some crazy strat to us, and then we were actually the first team to do it in pro league and we got all the credit for it. <laughs> we, we stole it. We stole it from them. Yeah, it was it was it was the best. DZ just had that happen to them too. I can't remember what event it was. I think it might have been SI last year. The Kaid Electroclaws on the border wall on Armory. You threw one onto the vents above Armory wall door. Mm-hmm. And then went over by the bookshelf and we tripped over ourselves to be like, oh my God, this is so innovative. I can't remember if it was Tokonami or SI. And then afterwards, I think somebody from Dark Zero came out and they're like, yeah, big shout out to SSG for doing that to us in a scrim and we just stole it. 
And SSG got absolutely no credit for it. <laughs> That's just how it happens <laughs> most of the time. You know? So, you know, it's you see it and you're like, yoink, this is mine now. Yep. I mean, that's what half that's what half of scrims are for, you know, stealing stuff from other teams. That's why if you're the Sonics, you only scrim tier two and tier three teams so that people can't steal things from you. Yeah, but they also can't. That's trade off. You know, that's true. When you were with Flipside and we saw those unconventional side holds for people who weren't around back in the day, just a bit of context, because I know that. There's probably a very small portion of this audience that are going to listen to this that were active watchers of pro play back in 2017, which is really when we're talking about Flipside trying a lot of this stuff out because you literally got picked up by SK. What was it for SI in 2018 or something like that? So or or was it? It was SI, wasn't it? 2018. You got picked up by SK, but you didn't compete at the event. But you went uh, to the event because I remember after yeah, yeah, yeah. EG lost in the finals, Troy and I came over to your place and we played Secret Hitler and Pictionary and all that stuff and yep. had a fucking great time, by the way. I don't care how he was very sad because he had just lost, but I, I yeah. had a great time. Um, it, it was fun. It was fun. But uh, for people that are unaware, just to give some context to what we're talking about, this was back in the day when the pro league map pool was insane uh basically anything went for periods of time favela and yacht were in the pro league map pool um and this was back the the most notable defense of yours that i think everybody will always go back to is that cash hold on clubhouse uh what was it that drove you as a team to try the unthinkable did you think that it was just a matter of this is possible? It's just teams don't try hard enough, or was it just like some perverse pleasure in doing the zaniest things for the viewers and your opponents? I would say it kind of came from every team, you know, practices the same sites over and over. And if they never play against a cash setup in scrims, they're never going to have practice against it. So it could be like a very bad bomb site, but if you if you don't have practice playing against it, you know a lot of things could go wrong. So that's kind of where we thought going to like a third bomb site or like a fourth bomb site might you know might actually be good. Kyle was always good at, or Mint was always good at making like weird strats and kind of having us run them. <sighs> cash, yeah, cash was kind of awful back then. Kinda. But whenever whenever we did run it in scrims, it worked. It just so happened in the matches, it kind of it kind of would fail sometimes. But for people, every every time we ran the weird chats and scrims, they always worked. So like, why not run it in the match? You know? Do you think? And obviously, I can't compare my own experiences. I when I played competitive Call of Duty back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, we would try crazy things. And they would work in scrims, but then when crazy things were tried against us, and it worked, we treated it as a learning opportunity, and we didn't necessarily try to beat it. I think it's possible that that's what happened with you, was that you would try cash on club and a scrim, and instead of the team being like, hey, let's actually try to beat this, it's, hey, let's kind of sandbag and figure it out and go from there. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I don't know if that happened every time because, you know, we did, we would play it like a good amount of times before actually using it. 
but we also at the time i think scrimmed a lot of brazilian teams you almost exclusively scrimmed brazilian teams at that time as far as i'm aware not exclusively but uh, yeah na teams were weird back then a lot of egos they did not want to scrim each other especially like the top teams oh they had egos back then <laughs> that is definitely yeah. something that has stopped big shout out to canine <laughs> the, the king of egos but so, yeah, so we, funny as an aside so funny that whether you want to call the canine spots fluke or not one thing that the general audience isn't really aware of is that after he got into that fight with laxing was it a year and a half ago the respect your ogs thing mm -hmm. every pro team as far as i'm aware renamed all of the canine spots to ego yeah so when his anti-trans thing went off during SI, everybody's like, we need to rename the canine spots. And all the pro teams are just kind of sitting there being like, we're a year ahead of you. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think every team changed them because I still hear it on some pro league teams. But yeah, yeah, SSG calls every canine spot ego. Yeah. So, uh, so sorry, so change. you were you were talking about um, ego being a thing with scrimming NA teams. Yeah, not a lot of teams scrimmed each other in NA, mainly the top teams. So we would have to scrim, you know, CL teams or Brazilian teams was was our um, fix. We scrimmed a lot of liquid, a lot of phase, and phase back then worked like crazy. Like they had some of the best it was design font. strats I've ever seen. Our font, yeah. They even. were your. They were according when I talked to Adam. They were your scrim partners for a while, if I remember correctly. Probably they they probably were yeah. Yeah. Uh, phase is like really good at having like trick plays, at least back then, or, or font. You know, they always had like some crazy Z4s or some crazy um, grenades. So we learned a lot from them, scrimming them. They probably learned a lot from you too, right? I mean, this was a period of time where back in 2018, Brazil was still relatively new. Uh, yeah. And we're used to, you know, maybe one Brazilian team would make the final four or the finals, but it would be a a stomp because everybody event you know for that year period of time basically everybody got fed to penta anyway so um by the way i don't know if you're watching the chat but super just said we still call them canine because only fucking morons play those spots <laughs> yeah you know, there's some good there's some good canine spots that you, that you have to that you have to play you know yeah i was more just i enjoyed the dig but anyway um what would uh how was it scrimming Latam teams on that ping, though? That must have been an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it was. You know, we were a pretty chill team, I think, so we had the patience for it. But, yeah, a lot of teams did not scrim Brazil strictly because of the ping, and Brazilians, at the most part, or for the most part, were super aggressive. I'd like to think that we were kind of the reason FaZe was kind of the outlier for Brazil. They were always the most structured team in Brazil for, yeah. for the longest time. I think that's because, you know, they scrimmed a lot of NA teams and they they took a lot from them. And they kind of like molded, you know, their their play style with, uh, with NAs. For people who don't remember, Liquid before they were Liquid were BRK. And phase before they were phase were font energy and font energy is an energy drink in Brazil. It would be like the equivalent of, you know, a team being called like Red Bull or something like that here. Um, the general consensus on those two teams were the, th the three big teams in Brazil were Black Dragons, which is now Ninjas in Pajamas, BRK, which is now Team Liquid and Font Energy, which is now Phase Clan. 
Uh, Black Dragons were never really as good as the other two. Um, the general consensus was that Font was very bad online, but then would always do well on LAN, whereas it was the opposite for BRK. BRK would do really, really well in the regular season and then choke and implode on LAN. And those roots run real deep because that Team Liquid squad still has that same issue with being able to close it out on LAN. So it's been about four and a half years now that that team has had that history, which is really crazy to think about it. And I mean, with the exception of their win at Atlantic City, if you look at consistency, FaZe Clan has been infinitely the better LAN team over the last four years than Liquid has. Obviously, Liquid's win is huge, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to discredit Atlantic City because a lot of people think I do all the time, but um, I have no doubt that scrimming different regions as frequently as they did would help. You know, you guys were a wild team by NA standards. It was, it was never a dull match watching Flipside, and, you know, it was hellish for me because I, I'd, only know, I'd only started playing the game in January, and by September I was casting Pro League. That is not enough time. Yeah. So I'm still learning the game on the fly. I'd been a, I'd been playing the game for eight months and I'm already casting pro league. And now I'm trying I'm tasked with trying to watch you monkeys play the game. And you're fucking flying around the map, just throwing shit at people. And I'm like, and the NA teams are confused and I'm confused. But I got to say, I learned a lot. So. Yeah, it was probably back then was just wild. I don't know. There's no other way to explain it. Yeah. Just a lot of teams didn't know what the fuck they were doing. So it made, you know, if if we don't know what we're doing, then no one else would know what, what we're doing. So we just kind of, we just kind of live by that. <laughs> you got picked up by SK around the time that all the big orgs came in. For people who don't remember the timeline, uh, the first big org, I would say, was pro. I mean, Vitality's been in the scene forever. Pain's been in the scene forever, so has Ince. And people that are not from Brazil don't realize how big Ince and Pain are. Um, Vitality at the time wasn't as big as they are now. Um, I would say they actually lived in the shadow of a number of French orgs, and now they are probably the biggest French org. Um, mostly because a lot of the other ones collapsed. Millennium collapsing obviously hurt. But uh, Flipside was always a decently sized org. Rogue comes in, picks up King George's team, which was on Vertical Gaming after that whole vertical gaming fiasco eg obviously comes in picks up continuum next thing you know liquid's getting picked up or uh you know brk gets picked up by liquid phase yeah. comes in you get approached by sk gaming you were not with sk gaming for that long and it was not marked without its controversy you want to just talk about that period of time without me trying to guide you and you can just give me your thoughts on it yeah so basically where it all went wrong was we were at the 2017 invite for CTM1? Yes. Actually, it might have been 2018. 2018 where... was when you got picked up because I remember you had to yeah. go to Airbnb in Montreal. Jarvis was yeah. back on the team. You all got flown out and you were all doing your photo shoot and stuff like that in Montreal. Yeah. We were, yeah, it was 2018 invite. Um, I think at the Airbnb is when SK sent us the contracts and of course Adam being Adam he's like oh hell yes SK I'm signing he signs that shit immediately doesn't even read it so we're all forced to basically you know like kind of sign with him and 
I would say professional players back then were kind of dumb with contracts. Basically, on the still contract, are, by the way, a lot of them still are. Some still are on the contract. What what it said was they SK didn't have to pay us money until Ubisoft uh, paid them the money they were owed. So basically, we waited seven months without any salary to get all of our salary at the end of our of our contract. Yes, I remember that, and I remember talking to some of your players in private who were not aware of that and were like. SK hasn't paid us any money. They're fucking garbage. When in all reality, it's like that's literally what you signed for. Yeah. And to add on top of that, the even worse thing, which, I mean, it paid off in the end, but at the time, <laughs> it, uh, it, was a, it was a big hit to me, especially. The day after that we signed with SK, TSM messages us saying like, hey, we want to pick you guys up. Uh, are you guys free agents? And we're like, oh shit, we just signed with SK. We're like, unless you guys want to buy us out, but they were not going to buy us out. Yeah. Especially back then. Like, the scene was like way too new for like a buyout, I guess. And TSM was always like my dream org to play under because, you know, I was a big League of Legends fan. I've always followed them in League of Legends. And yeah, after that, it just made me hate SK more. I was like, fuck, I could have been on TSM. At this point in SK's history, by the way, they had the best CSGO roster on the planet. I think a lot of people would argue um, that was the old Luminosity roster that was Brazilian. Uh, that was captained by Fallen. They would eventually end up going down. The, the roster would slowly get worse and worse and worse, and it get to the point where SK became a bit of a meme, and then they left, and they technically went to MIBR, which was a division of Immortals. Um, the roster really never recovered, and then eventually SK has stepped out of all violent video games now they are a brand safe org which is why you will see that they're only in games that are advertiser friendly um which is why i assume we'll never see them pick up a valorant roster maybe they will i don't know i feel like valorant is kind of a safe brand but i don't i don't know um but uh this was also at the time and i'm not saying this to to slander tsm but this was also at the time where TSM had reached out to a couple orgs and were offering well below the average salary of NA. So in some ways, it might have been good. Yeah, for sure. But at the time, they were still offering more than what SK was giving us. Right. So it was still it was still like gonna be at least better for us. There was I, I feel like it was like there was a year because I remember talking to somebody on I believe it was Noble. And Noble, this was like the gold rush. So for people who don't realize why all these big orgs came in, this is when they did the pilot program, which was the predecessor to R6 share. The pilot program was where a set amount of orgs would come in and they would get everything done for them. They'd get a gun skin, they'd get a uniform, they'd get a charm, uh, you know, and it was, I think it was 11 teams was the first one or something like that. I can't remember how many it was the first iteration, but a lot of orgs wanted in because it was going to get them a ton of money. TSM had approached a number of teams at this time, at least from what the players of those teams had told me, and they were offering a pretty paltry amount of money per month in comparison to what the other orgs were. Now, whether TSM was actually right on the money and offering what players really deserved versus other orgs paying way more than needed, I'm not sure. I think some of the salaries at the time were a little inflated. I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, yeah, probably. But it was TSM was definitely kicking around the scene for a while there. Uh, yeah, the, what, that 
that specific circumstance kind of happened a little later. Like that was like a while later, but yeah. at the time they were only really looking at us and and Rogue. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Th- those were like the two teams they they wanted. The NA Rogue, and, by the way, for people who yeah, are confused. NA, yes. NA Rogue. But after that, uh, yeah, they kind of started talking to other teams. I think the next season. So Dark Zero enters at the end of 2018. Um, this is something that was being cooked up for quite a while. Uh, how did you first find out about this, and how were you first approached about this mystery org that was going to come in and whisk you away to a team house in Texas and shower you with money and basically give you whatever you want? How did that come to be? Well, I think at the time, we were very, we were very close to our contracts ending. We only had a couple months left. So we were already like super fed up with SK. So Kyle... Kyle was like, you know, getting together kind of like uh, something like you can give orgs, you know, to let them know like what you've done in the scene and like what you can give them. Mm-hmm. And when we were doing that, we he got contacted by Kicks, I think it was. Basically, Zach, the owner of DZ, used Kicks to kind of like, you know, reach out to teams that um you know thought had potential and he reached out to us and i think eg at the time were the only two teams yeah that he i remember out that. To. yes and from what i know uh he talked he talked to eg first and eg kind of like just blew him off you know which i mean is understandable they're they're eg so like why why would you go to some like random org that literally is not an org yet and yeah so Basically, he, he started talking to us instead of EG. Everything was good. It sounded like crazy <laughs> from what he was telling us. He's like, we want to move you into a, you know, a huge team house, which is always like the dream of ours. We've been playing together for, I think, like three years at that, at that point and never, you know, never had a good org or any org that like, backed us, like, like the good orgs in Siege already. And... It was just huge. The first time we met Zach was DreamHack Montreal, actually. He flew out to meet us in person, which was, like, super crazy. Because we were talking to him literally, like, two days before that. He's like, hey, I'm going to fly out to come meet you guys. Took us to some huge dinner that I don't even want to know the price for. Probably super expensive. And, you know, basically just told us, like, his uh, full vision or plan for us. Which was like super insane. It was like already got us basically hooked, you know, because no or- no org or no person's ever done that much for us in the past. I, I remember when Kicks first started talking to me about it. This was back in the day when I feel like a long enough time has passed for me to dive into this. But basically, Kicks had gotten restless doing commentary work, as you probably know. He never really wanted to leave playing behind. He always had a desire to get back into gaming and playing. And it was something that I kind of had to keep wrestling with because there were a lot of days where after a cast, he would just say to me, like, that cast was fucking shit. I'm terrible at what I do. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back to playing. And I had to kind of, like, talk him off a ledge and be like, well, what about me? You know, like, who am I going to cast with then? You literally pulled me to Poland, like, for you. 
And I remember when he first told me about it, he said, I basically got approached by a guy, a businessman who wants to start an org and he really wants and really thinks that Rainbow Six is like this fertile ground to build off of. And I want to be a major part of it. And, you know, I'm going to be like the GM or whatever it's going to be. And I was like, oh, um, okay, so I guess you're going to quit casting then. This was around the time of the Paris Major, by the way. So we went into the Paris Major, or at least I did. I went into the Paris Major thinking that that was that. Like, that was the last time we'd probably ever cast together. He was going to leave. He was going to do the season after, but was going to leave for the finals uh, in the fall. And that was going to be it. And he was going to join. At the time, I didn't know that the team was called Dark Zero. I didn't know anything about it. He would not break his NDAs for me, which, I mean, kudos to him. But he was talking to me about it, and he'd bounce ideas off of me every now and then. And that's why the Paris Major casting, by the way, was so bad. If if you've ever gone back and rewatched the Paris Major casting, is fucking terrible. Because we just, it was just like I didn't really care because I was that like, was this a, is it. That was so, just a bad event in general. Terrible event. This is boring. Yeah, it was. The matches weren't particularly great. The outcome was like whatever. Like G two annihilated everybody. Yep. You know. Um. But I remember he approached me and it's it's kind of shitty that Troy's not on here because I remember Troy reached out to me around this time being like, do you know anything about this mystery org that wants to like come into the scene? Because we've been reached out to. And I was like, no, why? And he's like, well, Kix is like involved with it. And I was like, yeah, I know that much. I said, I don't know much more of it. And obviously I don't want to leak what Troy said, but basically the gist of it was for him growing up, EG has always been like his dream org. He never wanted to not play for EG and he wanted to stay with EG basically until he retired. So he was like, why would I leave to go to like greener pastures when I've already got that here? Yeah. You know, and I don't know if they would have matched any offers or anything like that, but he basically said like, I'm content being here. I also, I don't know if I ever told you this and I can, I guess I can, I don't really want to, spoil it but when clg was looking to get into the scene they'd narrow down whether they wanted you or elevate i don't know if i ever told you that clg was looking yeah. at clg was looking at flip side and was looking at elevate mm-hmm. we talked to them and i talked to them quite a bit and i recommended you they ended up picking elevate which was great for the one season until i got relegated and yeah. you guys didn't get relegated so i was right by the way um but i recommended you guys uh because i thought that you brought a lot to the table and I thought that what like the team's dynamic or whatever Pojo man in particular could have brought like some spice, but they ended up deciding whatever they wanted. So uh, I'm glad that you guys landed with dark zero. So you go to all this trouble and then you, you go to move, I'm assuming at this point. And how much does your day to day change with DZ versus your time with SK and Flipside? Was it, was it like, okay, now we're, now we're actual professionals. Was that like the mood when you, when you get picked up by DZ? <laughs> yeah, it changed a lot for specifically, you know, some people on our team. But we went from practicing probably around like four or five Pacific time, like in, you know, towards the night to like 10, you know, 10 p.m. And then when we went to uh, Houston for, you know, for DZ, we started practice, I think, originally at like 10 a.m. Like ten to eight is basically like what we're doing, or something like that, or like ten to seven. I don't remember exactly, but it was it was specifically hard for you know Jarvis and 
who else was there with us. Was that when e- Little- Evil Waffle wasn't on the team, was he? No, no, no. He was. He never was on DZ. He was on SK for one game, yeah. right? And then he got replaced. It would have been. Was Nix on the original DZ roster? Yeah. So it, it was, was me, me, Pojo, Mint, Nix, and Jarvis. Right. Okay. The five. So yeah. Uh, it was hard it was, on Jarvis. Was, Why was it hard on Jarvis? Because if you know Jar, which you definitely do, I do. <laughs> Jar loves to do his own thing when when he wants to do it. Yep. You know. If, oh, I know that too. Kinda, if you kind of break him out of it, uh, he struggles a little bit. So yeah, Zach, Zach kind of like forced him to break out of it for a while, and it was not going the best. Is that why he got dropped? Um, I would say maybe on like Zach's side that was a reason why, mm-hmm. but on our side, I don't, I don't really think that was a reason why he got dropped. It was more so just kind of performance at the time and how the team dynamic was. And we went after you know Hyper, and we knew like we 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 had to get Hyper. He was, I think, the highest rated player at the time. He was the so, highest rated player that season play on Rise Nation, yes. Yeah. On a on a team that was not great and did the weird thing where they surge during the second half of the season, but it ultimately is for nothing and they don't make it anywhere, just like Mouse yeah. did when they were with Mouse the season before. Well, they should have. But, you know, someone threw a game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> The game that got Obey relegated? Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's I, I just think that's a perfect time. I think that's a perfect time for Beastly to play Ash for the first time ever and Hyper to play Blackbeard, who he has never played in a competitive game ever. I think that's a perfect time to do that. I don't know about you, but You know, I I agree. It's I think uh I think they're smarter than <laughs> than they than they uh thought they were <laughs> it was man it was so hard to cast that game just watching it and just knowing and just fucking knowing like what's going on and you're just like i actually forgot about the throw that was even the one i was talking about what game were you talking about i was talking about the throw against noble that got obey relegated that i mean that's definitely a big one now that i'm thinking about it but i was thinking about i think it was mouse playing against rogue and someone's underneath pulsing. Yeah, it was it was hyper and vertical, and then he like tried to set it off, but then like pulled out his gun and then pulled out his sidearm, and you're like, yeah. And then after that, he joins Rogue. Yeah, vertical, saying, vertical weird. joined Rogue after that one. Yeah, it's a little weird. There's lots of and there's it, lots of stuff like that that goes on. At the same time, teams deliberately throwing games is not weird in professional sports if you've made the playoffs or if it's a game that doesn't matter you not trying happens pretty often you know yeah so can we really get mad at them i would say there's a difference between not trying it and throwing though Hmm. because like you can play all your throwing you you can play all your same roles Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and you know still not be trying as hard as you normally would like that's not throwing yeah I think I think you can I think most people are smart enough to know when a team is trying versus when a team is not trying right I would say so so you get put on this uh, you get put on this team the first one that gets dropped is Pojo why is Pojo the first to go 
Um, who did we? You dropped okay. Pojo and BC comes back onto the team. Yes, we dropped Pojo. Um, what was originally planned was to not have BC play. I think we at the time we were going for Bosco or Geo. Okay. I think were the main two, and we kind of like finalized on Geo. Uh, that was around the time where he got cut from EG. I don't remember what event that was. I think maybe Atlantic City. But Geo, he, uh, Geo was... No, that would have been... Because you guys got picked up at the end of 2018. And then you dropped Pojo at the start of 2019. What team was Geo on back then? Geo... I think Geo was on Rogue then. Because I, I feel like he was on Rogue, and then he left Rogue and joined EG for the Raleigh Major. Hmm. If I remember, maybe, if my history maybe is correct. Maybe my timing's off, but I, I know we were going for like other players than, than Brandon, for sure. Yeah. Because we wanted, you know, we, we wanted uh, BC to stay like our coach. <clears throat> um, yeah. Basically, Poge kind of fell into uh, the, the support you know, kicking the support kind of ideal that everyone was doing back then. I think, I honestly think it was the best for Poge because, you know, once he joined TSM, like he played way better for TSM than he ever did for us. And I think, it, you know, he's, he's even still playing good right now, like subbing in for them as, as a player. Yeah, they look great on Wednesday. Yeah. So I, I think it was at the end of the day the best for him, but it kind of... I, th I would say it kind of like ruined our relationship a little bit just like not like anything like bad blood related or anything but it's just once you're on another team it's 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 hard to talk to people you know you don't talk to them as much as you used to so like me and kyle were friends with poach for you know three four years at that time and then now i talk to him every once in a while if that well i mean i think this kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier you were more invested in maintaining your core and succeeding in that way than treating it like a business. You know, all around you, the NA landscape is changing. You know, with the exception of, I feel like, EG, most of the cores split up over this period of time. It was only EG that held, that held everything together with, like, NVK, <clears throat> Necrox, and Canadian. Everybody else is, is swapping in and out. And, you know, you, Mint, and Poge we're together for almost four years at that point. Yeah. You think it's, you think it's natural that there'd be some resentment there because it almost feels like almost feels like a betrayal because it's like you got stabbed in the back by like a brother rather than like a coworker. Yeah. It was, it was definitely the art, like, you know, one of the hardest, I guess, cuts that we've, that we've ever done. I mean, back then I would say, the only reason, like, one of the main reasons we didn't change a lot is because we had no, like, power within the scene. Like, no one wanted to join join us because we were under Flipside, or no one wanted to join us because we were under SK. Like, every other pro knew the, you know, problems we had with those orgs. But once we joined, like, an actual, like, good org that, you know, listened to us and, you know, had a, had a lot of money, like, people wanted to join us, so it was easier. Anecdotally... I also heard from a couple of players around that time that one of the big reasons why they didn't want to join your roster was because you needed to have a very specific like personality to fit in because it was like a family, you know, like you can't just have somebody who doesn't know you at all 
who's not familiar with you just join the team because it's going to feel like you're, I don't know, it's like when you move to a new school and everybody's already friends with each other and you're just kind of like the loner on the outside. It's going to take yeah, time, we, right? We definitely stuck to people that we knew would fit in or, you know, would at least be like moldable, I guess, to like to, to fit into our system. You know, there was multiple players that are, you know, top players right now that kind of just, if you, like, we knew going into it that they, they wouldn't fit, like, with, all, I guess, our personality and our play style. So, you know, we'd even really try them out. Do you feel like when you got picked up by DZ, that's when things got, things went from, like, I don't want to say a hobby, but the general vibe was more casual and then you get picked up by DZ and you're like, shit, this is like a real job now. This is like a business. You think it's fair to say that that was, a, that was when the switch happened? Yes, especially uh, for me personally because my, my living situation at that time was not the best. Uh, I went from living with my mom during uh, my last high school year to going living with my dad because um, my, my dad like showed me gaming you know he's a big gamer he still games so I thought he would be like a little you know a little less strict with me about that stuff so I went to live with my dad and and uh, my stepmom and it was basically the total opposite my stepmom hated everything about it so my dad was kind of like forced to to give me like an ultimatum like I want you out by this date type of thing so I was basically forced out of my dad's house, and I moved in with um, my cousin Preston and his family. I remember those days. And we used to we used to play Heroes of the Storm around that time. Yep. And we basically had a setup in his fucking closet where me and him game together on a fold up table. Like that was where I gamed for a while. As a personal note, I remember when you and I would be gaming and he wouldn't be in the call, but he might as well have been because I would just hear him in the background the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you know Preston, you know he's loud. He's a chatty boy. Oh, yeah. He's a chatty boy. Uh, yeah, but basically around that time, it was like super hard for me because it just felt like, you know, my parents didn't really, they didn't really trust what I was doing and they didn't give like two shits about it. So it was super hard. I I basically just relied on you know my uncles um, to to basically like hold me through it. And once I joined DZ, they kind of like recognized you know that it's an actual thing. I was gonna say that was gonna be my follow up question. Do they still hold that opinion today? And if not, how has it changed? What was the was there a gradual evolution there, or how did it work with your parents? Um, I mean, I would say it's way better now they you know they actually respect it you know they've been to the dz house in vegas they've been to this house um they know like you know how crazy it's getting and kind of like how much i've worked to get here so i would say you know my stepmom's better with it but she's not like you know fully into it but my my actual parents have gotten a lot better especially my mom and 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 my dad. Does your stepmom need a talking to from Intero mom to be brought on to the light? No, I don't. I honestly don't care like what she thinks. So, I, I mean, I, I know that to a certain extent. Um, when I got involved in esports, uh, I a, a lot of people don't know this. I never actually finished university. 
I took off my last year because I was burnt out with the goal of going back. And when I came back home from basically living out West for a couple of years, I was going to go back to school. And then I enrolled in school and I was in a program, a university in downtown Toronto. And then I got offered this job, like the first week of classes. So I was supposed to go back and finish the last year of my program. And then this opportunity came knocking and I, it'd be insane to say no. So I took it, but the whole time, the whole time, my mom doesn't know what esports is either. You know, now she's got a Twitter account with more followers than uh, half the NA pro scene. But at the time, she's like, you're just sitting in your room yelling. Like, that's not a real job. And she's like, you need to go back to school. And the whole time I'm in Poland, every other week, I'm getting a conversation from her being like, so like, are you going to renew your contract? Or like, are you going to come back and finish your education? Like, you know, this is not a sustainable career, blah, blah, blah. And eventually she just either she she stopped caring or she came around. I don't frankly know which one it was, but at some point, at some point, she just eventually got on board. And you know, I can I can see it, man. Like trying to explain this job to just about anybody is impossible. What do you do? I play video games for money. Yeah, I talk about video games for money. That's even weirder, right? So yeah, I mean, the, the hardest thing was is like, I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's really hard not to understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's just, it's just so weird because they don't know like how close you are. Yeah. People people don't realize it it. and you make good money now. The only, the only thing I am worried about esports is, is longevity, right? Yeah. You know, we've, we've already seen, we've already seen people who, you know, by the time they're 22, 23, they were never really good enough to begin with, but they were able to hang around. And now it's just like they, they have nothing. So it's like, what do they do? Well, a lot of them are going back to school, which is great. And that's the smart thing. And I'm glad that you said it. Take the opportunity now. Save up at least like, well, I know your, your country is absolutely nuts with tuition fees. But I was going to try to say like save up one year of tuition fees, which is might be hard to do. But try to do that and have like a have like someplace soft to land. Don't spend it all on Balenciagas and Jeeps. Right? Yeah. So. Uh, so when you get to DZ. Pojo, getting, Pojo Man gets moved off the team. The timeline is crazy for this team. Because you get Pojo Man off the team, then Jarvis goes, then Nix goes. BC is on and off the roster. You pick up Skies after uh, Tokonami along with Eclipse. Uh, you are, at this point, the, long, the, like the sole survivor with Mint, right? How hard was it for you just as a person to watch the team constantly change and did you have any input on it whatsoever i mean it it sucked definitely because we weren't just like losing teammates we were losing like friends and at the end of the day you know it was like me and kyle knew that if we wanted to like be the best we probably had to make upgrades and you know me and kyle were usually always at least in my opinion, the best on, on the flip side roster. So we knew like once we got a you know a good enough org that we that we were gonna need changes. And it kinda just came. Like, yeah. You know, once good players were open to get, it's it's kinda hard not to, at least the thought of it. You don't really know I guess what you have until it's gone, you know, that little cliche saying, but that's just that's just how it is for most roster changes did your mental 
approach to this game ever change where it was you know you went from being like this core family for three years to all of a sudden very aggressively making changes you know the the identity of this roster on february 5th the roster is jarvis nicks you mint and pojo man on november 25th the roster is you mint hyper skies and eclipse in the span of 10 months was there ever a period of time where you kind of switched from this is a lot of fun i like having fun we're still winning but we don't need to be the best to we need to win at all costs was that ever like was there ever a conscious lip on your part in mindset i would say it's it's hard not to like flip the mindset like as soon as we got into the dz house because just like seeing how much money uh is going into like us as a team and like what we have like what resources we have you know like we should be winning like that should be in your in your you know mind so like when we won like when we weren't winning it was you know the the, the automatic thing that would come to your mind is like why Usually that 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 leads to you know roster related stuff. You feel like you, at any point, watching all these people fall away. Was there ever a thought in the back of your mind like everybody on this team is expendable? The goal is winning, and that includes me. Yes. Um, for a while, I knew like I knew I was safe, you know because. We had people that, you know, we always thought we can upgrade. And it was just, it was like the me and Kyle show. But, you know, once we got to the roster of, you know, Hyper, Skies, Eclipse, like everyone on that team knew that if shit didn't go right, like it could be any one of us. And it was terrifying to play with, you know, with that type of pressure on you. So let me let me unpack that for a second there. You use the word terrifying, which is a pretty substantial word to use to describe your position on a roster where the goal is to win. I'm not trying to read into this too much, but how much does that affect your play knowing that this is an org that will very quickly cut you loose if it feels like there's an upgrade? Do you feel like there was no loyalty to the team? Do you feel like that pressure and constantly needing to, you know, look over your shoulder, that affect probably adversely your play in the server? I mean, it it most definitely did. I just, it's hard to gauge like, you know, when and how it did. It's kind of just like an outline thing that's always there that you you don't really know like how much it affects you until it does. So, yeah. I would say it was just it was just weird, you know? Cuz like if you have a bad, you know, season or whatever, usually your your thought is like, you know, what do, what do my teammates think of me? And if if your teammates think if even like one or two of your teammates think that you need to go, usually it happens. And it's even scarier having to like think about that and, you know, and org like also thinking about that because, you know, the org was there with us almost every day, you know, like Zach, 
Zach and Brandon, I guess, was, you know, the GM for, for a while with us. And, you know, they were there every, every day of practice, usually, especially in Houston. I'm not, I like the DZ folks, so I'm obviously not trying to paint DZ in an unflattering light at all. But so far, you've shaped our impression of DZ as being this org that cares a ton, invests a ton, but then when push comes to shove, everybody is expendable. So do you think that there's a collision with expectations there? Because, I mean, you look at some of these orgs that it's like the cores have been together forever. And it takes time for them to win. I mean, look at NIP. Look at Liquid. Two finalists for the Six Invitational, their cores have been together for over three years. But then you look at DZ, and the, at this point, the entire roster has flipped in a year and a half. So do you think that it's... I'm trying to phrase this in a way that doesn't come across as me being mean, but is there more of an obligation for the org to perform and win even at the expense of its players than it is to stick to a winning formula and invest in that? Yeah. It it, it just, it all changed like, I mean, it feels fast, but it wasn't fast, but it it changed over time. You know, because going to DZ, like, their motto was, you know, work, if you work hard, doesn't matter, like, you know, if you're not, like, the best player, if you work hard and you have good teamwork, like, you you know, you could become the best. And that was always our motto. Even on, you, even on flip side, you know, usually we worked harder than other teams. And that's, you know, that's what, like, kind of got us there. So we thought, you know, with, with a, a crazy org that gave us a lot of support, you know, we could even make the, the next step. And in in a lot of ways, we did, you know, like we were usually the best in uh, in NA at the time. With you know, I think we I think we got the point record in NA for for um, the season we played with Nix and, and Brandon, and then we go to Japan and we we end up losing the finals, which I will say like we we're we were gonna make changes, honestly, probably even if we did win that finals. Because if you look back at the finals, like there's no good teams there. Like that, that should have easily been our win. Yeah. Like the t- the two best know. teams, I think, on paper heading into that. No offense to you guys, both got kneecapped by visa issues. You know, I think the general consensus was Nip was probably. I would have argued Nip was the strongest team going into that event, and Phase probably second, and then I would have said you guys third. It was hard to rate Navi because if you remember, that was the season where. Doki got banned and Pi came in. And then they literally were in like fifth place. And everybody's like, okay, well, in order for them to make Tokonami, like not only do they have to win every game, but every other team basically has to lose and then fucking happened. So. Yeah, I, I don't think Navi was like deserved to win that land, but I mean, they played good and they got it done. I don't I don't think like a a land like that will ever happen again in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But Japan was like nonetheless even though we lost kind of in a like a shitty way it was awesome. Like Japan was amazing. Probably the best land event I've ever been to. It's so weird to hear somebody say that. I mean, you you get in second place and you know, it's the best finish at an S tier event for DZ ever. 
It's your best finish at that level of competition. And a lot of people could very easily look back on that and be like, it's heartbreaking. I don't really want to talk about it. And you're like, it was great. Well, I mean, obviously the losing wasn't great, but it's just <laughs> no, like, I'm not even, saying that part was I'm just even saying. when we did, even when we did lose, like we were walking off the stage and all the Japanese fans were like clapping for us, not even for the winner. They were clapping like for us after I'm pretty sure after every team lost at the event, the whole, the whole crowd would, you know, clap and basically like give them like a standing ovation, like while they walked off, like, that's crazy. I've never seen that. How long was the line after the mate, after it ended, after the finals, your after team stuck f- around at the convention center for how long? Yeah, after the finals, I think we stuck around for at least two hours, maybe three, of just, you know, taking photos and signing stuff for fans. Like, the line was crazy. It was crazy. Like, even if you just walked around the event, like, people would start, like, forming a line to talk to you. And it just felt bad. I felt bad because, you know, at, at some point, you have to tell them, like, I'm sorry, I have to go, you know? I'm about to play a match. Yeah. I remember... I remember we finished we finished the cast kicks and I and then we had a couple meetings and then we went back to the green room we got all of our stuff we did like a team debrief I don't know it was probably like an hour at this point it was probably an hour or so after the finals had ended and we're leaving the green room and it's right by the main doors and I just remember I see all of you guys standing there and this line just literally like looping around and Jordan looks at me it was it was either BC or, or Bacon I can't remember who it was and they're just like Japanese fans are fucking insane. This is crazy. Like, look at this. He's like, they're the best. I was like, yeah. I was like, it was wild. Yep. Why would they you? Are the be- they are the best. Why would you be making changes despite your result at Tokonami? Um, just the the team vir- the team environment was not the best. Um, I mean, everyone knows like Nix's problems, especially back then when are you comfortable Nick, if, if people are watching and they don't know are you comfortable elaborating yeah basically nix's problem uh mainly back then he's gotten a lot better at it he still has some of the same problems but it's a lot more workable um back then nix's problems was you know if he was having a good day if he woke up i don't know on the right side of the bed i guess everything would would go like super smooth you know he would like when Nix is in a good mood, he's you know he's one of the best people to hang around with. But when he's in a bad mood, and a lot of times you don't even know why he's in a bad mood, he just is. Uh, it 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 goes like all downhill, and it feels like you know like practice is kind of useless a lot of times. So yeah, we we felt that if we got someone that was more consistent. Um, you know, it would help us, especially for Lance. And at the time, I think we're looking at we're looking at a bunch of different people. We tried we tried stealing Rampy from SSG, which he actually at the time wanted to really come to our team because I, I guess they were having their own issues. Um, they, had, they at that t- around that time was when they picked up Canadian, if I recall. Yeah, it was not it was like smooth a, at the start. It was a couple months in, I think, yeah. with Canadian. And yeah, supposedly it was not the best. So, I mean, he was willing to leave, but SSG would not let him go, which, smartly. I would like to think that we kind of changed their their uh, 
I guess, view as a team, and that that's what led him to win invite. So I'm, I'll take I'll take full responsibility. <laughs> Lycan's looking at me weird right now. Look at <laughs> you got Bosco in the background taking a break from hey, Aim I'm, Labs. I'm just I'm just saying it helped a little bit. You're a in, little bit. You're in the Viper's nest right now, talking about this, taking credit for SSG while they all surround you. Yeah. Um. So you're you're looking at Rampy. You ended up getting Skies and Eclipse. Were they both intended targets, or did they kind of just come together organically? Yeah, I mean, the way DZ worked is we always kept a list of, you know, like, top players in NA that if they're available, you know, we feel like they're kind of like must-gets. And, you know, both those players were on that list. So I, I at the time, was very drunk after losing... At Japan, so I was weird how that works. I was talking to Alex a lot, and you know, Alex has almost joined our team like four or five times before that, even stemming all the way back from the first land uh, in Poland. Alex being skies, by the way, for people that aren't familiar, who was at Tokonami on the reciprocity team. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we we've tried getting him on our team ever since the Elevate days, but he was very stubborn and kind of you know held his friends. Kind of like we we did on F3 to like a higher standard, and yeah, that I would say that's kind of like when whenever we picked up you know Eclipse and Skies is kind of when like DZ changed. It was our our kind of like system before that was very structured, set. You know we we knew what we needed to do most of the time, but once Skies and Eclipse came, you know both those teams that they were on play a completely different style than what most of NA played at that time. Very aggressive, very I guess loose. So I would say undisciplined, couple, undisciplined in in some regards, which is I mean which is fine because as we can see from the last invites, you know that gets you that gets you far. Uh, yeah, they we basically had to mold our system around to them. Like at first, we just tried, you know, like taking them in our system and keeping it that way. But it was it's very hard, especially in Houston. Like Alex struggled a lot. He hated Houston for some reason. It's a city made uh, of concrete on a swamp. How could you like it? it? Yeah, Houston was not the best. I will say that the house that we were in very nice, but outside of that. <laughs> Outside of that, yeah, you're literally walking walking into a swamp every day. I hope you like freeways and 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Because if you don't like either of those things, you're going to fucking hate Houston. I will say the best thing about Houston was the food. They got some good food. But I'm, I am su- I'm kind of surprised. I mean, Houston Houston's cool and all. I mean, I haven't I never really experienced Houston. I experienced Austin though, and Austin was great. Austin's. Nice. Were you? Did you do? You did DreamHack Austin, right? Um, I did. We didn't play in it because you were the only NA team that wasn't there. Yeah, SK yeah. SK didn't want to send us there. And then after event, yo, know, they they literally asked us like, why didn't you play in this event? And we're like, what? You didn't want to send us there? And we, and then they're like, oh, we would have sent you there. It was it was stupid. I went there though to watch um, Nick's Nick's team play. So I just went there with my uncle and and him. Yeah, and had a lot of fun. It was annoying because I felt like we could have won that event. If was, we Nixon, went there. was Nixon sinister? What team was Nixon at the time? 
Knicks was on a CL team, Polar Ace. They, That's they right, had Polar to play Ace. The, yeah, yeah. They had to play the, the BYOB. Yeah. Uh, or BYOC? What is it called? BYOC. Yeah. Yeah, BYOC. Um, I mean, you could BYOB. I don't know if you can drink on the floor, but... Um, yeah, Sinister was Sinister was achieved. Beep, Goni, Super, super Janon, and and I don't know the other. It was Ozone. I, I, I or no, it was Muck or Mush. It was one of them, and achieved, and then Janon and Super. What a odd team that was. I made Super spit up water on stage that event. That's all I remember because over the stage mics, I called him Mr. 1.6, but I said after his first match, you can call him Mr. Owen 6. And he heard it while he was getting ready and he spat water on himself laughing. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, so you're with DZ and you pick up Skies and all that. One thing that has been talked about a lot, and we kind of use this, this talking point a lot with the team whenever we're casting is that DZ is a very structured team that, that has a system. And you mentioned that you basically had to build a system around skies and eclipse. How much did that change when you picked them up versus the way that you were playing before? Uh, it changed a lot, but in ways that are kind of like different than what you would think. Like we we kept our same structured system, but we added like a little aggressiveness into into it, mainly from uh from Skies. You know he's like a pretty aggressive player, which for some reason he always has to play hard breach. <laughs> I don't know why. Eclipse does the same though. Eclipse has said to me before that he's not he doesn't always like playing super aggressive entry roles. He likes cruising. Yeah, Eclipse usually just likes being like, you know, like the second or third guy and mm -hmm. more so than the first, which I mean, I'm the same way. The being the first guy and kind of sucks sometimes. You know, more often than not, you're just going to die so your team could win the round. You get traded That's out. just kind of how it is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Alex Alex was probably the harder one to get into our system. He even after the invite, the first invite we played as a team, which we ended up getting fifth, sixth, I think. Yeah, you. Uh, it was like you, and then it was you were fifth, and then uh, BDS was fourth, and then TSM was third, NIP was second, and SSG won. Yeah, which is very dumb to me, in my opinion, because we beat B B uh, BDS, and uh, they still ended up higher than us. Like, through just how the bracket works yeah well it's Which, okay it's not like the, it's not like si's bracket is in any way shape or form controversial so yeah um, tokenami by the way was where i did the eagle scream on your clutch that's that's probably my favorite casting you and kicks dude i I've never, lost my I've mind never, i've never heard kicks get that hyped either dude because I had I'd been sidelined because of health issues for the previous season, right? So I hadn't casted with kicks since the Raleigh Major, actually. The last time before Tokenami that I'd casted with kicks was the Raleigh Major. So it had been a while. Um and I just remember that I was I get so angry because he gets so many good moments. I feel like I can do play by play for 80% of the rounds. And it's fine, and then he gets play-by-play -play for one of, like, three rounds, and it's your clutch. And I'm just sitting there, like, 
excited but also like silently molding because it's like i want this so then i did the eagle scream in the background because my voice cracked while i did it so worth it like it's iconic it's iconic um when you uh when you ended up getting skies and eclipse you said like the whole kind of mood of the team changed where you got to a point where you thought that anybody could get dropped uh at that point how much of it would go how much of it would you go back and forth over who was first cut on the team do you think that there was a dedicated first cut were you worried that it was you at all uh, i would say like the first fuck how however many months probably like five six months of the team was was good in that regard you know there was no there's never really like any thought about uh someone being cut I would say leading up to the mini major actually that we that we ended up winning was where it got like super serious because right before the mini major we or not even we as a team the org decided to cut uh Christian who was our analyst or Gera who e was central East central at the time yeah who's yes. now the coach of Mirage mm -hmm. so that wasn't even like no one on the team I don't even think really Brandon had a like a say in that happening. It was more so just Zach wanting to cut Christian. Um, so but Christian why? got Christian. I don't know the full thing, but from what I do know, Zach was at the time Christian was still in college. He was like finishing up college so in Texas, he was like, right? He was local. Yeah, he was like part time, um, basically for us. And a lot of what Zach was asking him to do wouldn't get done in you know in the time period that he want done, so he kind of got like mad at that. And that's just what I'm guessing. That, you know, his reason was for cutting. Um, also, we had Grant, who is now the DZ analyst, like doing TikTok for us at that time. And I think Zach started talking to Grant more, and realizing that you know he can do like all the analyst stuff. Kind of just like fell in favor towards Grant. You also still had, it was kind of murky at that time because like technically Jordan Bacon was like your player coach and then BC was like the strategic coach and then you had Christian as like your analyst and then it was around that time when Guerra or Guerra I, I always screw up with the pronunciation uh, Christian gets taken off of analyst Grant gets the spot Jordan gets moved to the actual org and BC takes over full time as coach because then either Eclipse or Skies takes a spot on as a player. So you had a huge reshuffling, not just of personnel, but of your players too at the same time. Yeah. Which I'd even talk about that, but that was like another thing that was was hard to deal with at the time was, you know, Brandon as a player was really fun to play with. He was, you know, like a good friend to especially like Paul and me. And then as a coach, it kind of like, he kind of like almost cut ties with that, which I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know, for a coach to, you know, not be like super good friends with their players, you know, but it, it was just weird because we were, we were used to him being like a different person, I guess, as a, as a teammate. And then as a coach, he kind of just fell back into that, uh, you know, that system of, of just, it's a job. Kinda, yeah, kind of just it being a job and 
putting a lot of stress onto us, I guess. How much of a say does BC have in the roster moves? Because now, I mean, a lot of people are here for one reason and one reason alone, and that is because of what got sparked when uh, Get Flanked, who is a Dark Zero content creator, he had uh, BC on his show, The Pro and the Potato, and BC basically spoke about your departure in slightly vague terms, and you actually, you're not the type of person to take to social media to air grievances. You're usually very quiet. You usually just post relatively non-controversial stuff, but you broke that trend to tweet that you didn't necessarily agree with the assertions that were made and the conclusions that came up from that video and that you kind of wanted to share your side of it, which is actually what pushed me to reach out to you to restart six on six because I was still in the process of figuring out how we were going to do it since Troy didn't necessarily want to break his own thing. So I was like, you know what? Now's a perfect time to break hot and cold out and bring him on the show. So let's, let's shift towards that conversation here now. Um, because at this point, the team is doing okay, but clearly there is a need to make another roster move. And you end up drawing the short straw on this one. You get dropped seemingly last minute. Was there any heads up whatsoever that you were going to be moved off of this team at the time that you got moved off of? There was no specific heads up told to me from anyone within the org. Um, the only thing that happened, which shouldn't have happened, but it did, was at the time, Brandon... It's it's kind of weird because Brandon at the time was a head coach and the GM of the org. So he would give Zach kind of like, you know, reports of how the team was doing and kind of like grade us as players. Where we, I mean, we didn't know that uh, that he did that, but someone from the DZ org accidentally sent an email to all all of DZ, including the players that had that report in it so i basically read my own report and let's just say it was not good which is very which is weird to me so i knew like two or three months beforehand that there was a very good chance that i was getting cut are you willing to share your component of the also i would love i just i i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus but I don't think I've ever worked a single job where somebody hasn't botched a forward or a reply all and just yeah. torpedo I mean, it something. It happens, it happens so frequently. Like, so you, so you, so you got this report about three months before you were dropped. So that would have been, what would that have been? End of 2020. That would have been, that, was... that would have been before the NAL finals that happened in January. Right. It was while we're in the Vegas house, I think okay. like the last the, the last three months before I got cut. Okay. I don't know exact the exact timing, but around then. Right. So what what does it say? Basically, it's just like almost like a report card from high school grading all of, you know, the different categories of siege, teamwork base, shit like that. And it was, I don't know. It was stupid. It was, it was very stupid because I'm just sitting there looking at this like, 
thinking to myself, how the fuck am I the one not going to get cut based off of this? Which, at that point in time, I felt like I was putting in more work than anyone on the team. Like, you can ask anyone on the team, I'm sure they'll tell you the same thing. And I was also definitely better than some people on the team in certain aspects of what got created. But it just wasn't shown. What was the immediate reaction when that got sent out? Like, from um, you, from the other players, from the org? Because that is, that is a big mistake. Yeah, I would say the immediate reaction for me was just like, there was no reaction. I didn't know how to react. You know, I was just sitting there, like, reading it. And then I would say like five to ten minutes later, uh, or a couple minutes later, I think we we messaged like Brandon saying like, "Yo, are we like where are we supposed to get this?" And then Brandon messages the group chat saying like, "Yo, don't read it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm driving over to the house and let's have a team talk." Because everybody who gets told don't read it is going to immediately follow those instructions. Yeah, I guarantee. You, all the players, if you know, most of the players at least read read uh, some part of that. What was sent? This was so, never yeah. this was never meant to be public, right? This was supposed to just be for the coaching staff. Just, yeah, just for Brandon and Zach and maybe Grant. I'm not sure, but no one else. Yours was not good, safe to say. Mine was definitely on the lower end for most of it. Yeah. So. When you read this, was there ever a period of time in the lead up to this email getting sent out where you either were approached by a member of the coaching staff or you approached the coaching staff and said, hey, you know, like, how is the team going? Did you ever have team meetings where things that you could improve upon were addressed or is this just like this was like a blind side almost? It wasn't a full-on blindside. You know, I, I had my own issues, like, within the team. And instead of just, like, putting them to the side, you know, I made sure they were known. I multiple times went to Brandon and, said, like, told him, like, I don't feel like I'm, like, fully respected within the team. And I feel like, like, what I did for the team, like, wasn't fully, uh, like, acknowledged, I guess. And yeah, I just talked to him basically like trying to come up with an idea like how to fix that. And it just, it just never, there was no ideas. It just never came. I will say this. And I mean, there was a lot of shock. There's a lot of shock from the people in the chat about the fact that this exists. It does not surprise me in the slightest that the coaching staff has like a report on each of the players. You need to have that to communicate it to higher ups in some capacity. This is not weird. This is not abnormal. The abnormal part is accidentally leaking it to the roster because um, that's the sort of stuff that is very much supposed to stay private. But in many ways, at least from a business perspective, the goal of these performance reports are often to share it eventually with the person in question or people in question and attempt to find a resolution which usually yeah. is improvement right the, o the only thing that was brought up to me which was brought up you know a good while before that even happened was 
uh, basically Zach telling me that I'm just putting in like enough, you know, not anything more. So, I mean, that was like a big push for me where, you know, I put in a ton, a ton of more work than, than I used to, you know, after scrims, after, you know, a 12 to seven, 12 to eight day, I would do two hours of aim lab, you know, and I would watch a VOD, just, you know, a good like hour and a half. Which like most of most of the players on the team are not doing that, and it was just enough. So in that capacity, then I would ask, what more could you do? Is that something that you inquired about at all? I I, I asked that many times. You know, I'd, I would I was usually the one to ask, uh, you know, ask Brandon, ask Zach, like what more I can do. Um, basically, I asked Brandon, you know, what I needed to work on like how I needed to work on it and it just felt like it kind of got pushed to the side which I guess is fine in some in, in in some cases because you know there's a lot more other problems on the team you know it's 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 not like just like one person has problems there's there's a ton of problems and he's trying to solve all of them right so I I don't like blame like uh like BC in, in that regard but I just feel like if uh if a player like keeps coming to you about something eventually it has to at least get like noticed it is also entirely possible i'm not saying this about you but it is also possible that the things that you need to fix and i mean a, a general you once again not you just are not fixable in a situation like if the team doesn't want whatever intangibles are brought or whatever's being brought from a certain player sometimes you can't really get to a point where fixing it is possible sometimes the only resolution is replacing right but then i feel like you are at least owed that conversation ahead of time yeah to a certain extent obviously we have seen many teams tell a player that they're going to get dropped before an event and then the player just torpedoes the event because i mean are you going to play your best like no Right. I, I, I agree with that statement, but it just felt like I feel like once you get to that point, you you have to have used up all your options. And right. we did not use up all our options. You know, we every time we would try like a role change, it would last for four days, if that, and then we would just switch right back because, you know, it wasn't going well in the four days of scrims that we had with it. And yeah, you know, I've, I'm sure you know, but Alex said multiple times on the stream that he was trying to play the hard, you know, hard breach support for eight months, right. you know, basically since he, he got there. So what was the one thing before we move to you actually getting removed from the team? What was the one thing that really stuck out to you on that report? Because you said you didn't agree with some of it. What was the one thing that you that really stuck out to you on it, good or bad? If you want, if you're comfortable talking about it, by the way, I I did not know that this existed as people might be surprised. This did not come up when we spoke before the actual stream started. So this is brand new information to me. The one thing that surprised me was like comms. I always felt like I uh, had some of the best comms on the team. And I think on that sheet, I was like last in comms, which was just very weird to me because at the time, like Brandon was trying to to move me into more of like an IGL role. So like, why if I have the worst comms, are you moving me into like a role where I need to calm the most? It just didn't make sense to me. Obviously, that's something as well that can be worked on too. 
right? Did you ever have with the with the staff? How often did you have meetings with Zach or with BC as either a team or like individual performance reviews? Did those ever happen at all? And if so, what was the frequency with them? Um, we used to have meetings with Zach a lot in Houston, but since since we moved to Vegas, obviously he doesn't live in Vegas, so he's only ever there like I think like a week out of every month, if that. So I mean, usually when he was there, we would have a meeting, but obviously it wasn't as uh, frequent as as it was in Houston. So that I mean, that was like kind of a different feel too, because we were so used to having Zach there every day, being with us, being like a team dad almost. And you know, ever since we moved to Vegas, it it kind of just felt like he just kind of slipped into that you know boss role again. Yeah. Um, we had meetings with with Brandon. We honestly never really had him as like a full team as much as we should have. We, me, Paul, and Tyler would would make fun of it and call it the the hierarchy. Like we were not a part of the hierarchy, and it, the the only people that would be like in the meetings for that would be Alex, Kyle, Brandon, sometimes Grant. I mean, having coaching meetings and stuff like that is not abnormal. But I feel like if you are trying to put forward the best product possible, and this is a this is a, a thought now that is independent of Dark Zero. If you are trying to put forward the best product possible, I feel like meeting with the players individually and having a coach coach them through that. You know, there's there's a reason why if you look at sports, almost every single sport has dedicated coaches for dedicated roles and positions, right? They're obviously yeah. not the head coach, but you have conditioning coaches. You know, you've got sorry. I will say Brandon Brandon did do a lot of like one-on-one meetings, but I would say like certain players got more than others. Like I don't I think on the 8 months or whatever uh Alex was on the team or Skies was on the team, I think he only ever got like one. And I don't know if like if there's reasons behind that or I don't know if it was like, you know, Brandon kind of being like almost like too scared to talk to Alex cuz like Alex is intimidating. But like once you get like past, I don't Skies know. Skies like is such a softy. Wait, once you get past his like shell, like I don't know, he's he's just like any other person, you know. Monster so on I, smoke, though. He is a monster on smoke. I mean, obviously, I'm not a coach, and I have never played Rainbow Six at a top level competitively. And, and there are people that are watching that are have either been coaches or are presently coaches or are people who are involved in the pro scene that are currently in the chat right now. It strikes me as abnormal that there would be such infrequent contact with your coaching staff. I feel like a debrief after every match or debriefs after scrims or constructive feedback every month or so, especially if you're thinking about role swaps, especially as the meta is changing. I feel like those kind of conversations with your coaching staff need to happen regularly. You know, a player, a player being on a roster skies joined the roster, you know, after tokenami joined in 2019 he left just a couple weeks ago. He was on the roster for a year and a half. If what you're saying is true and he only ever had like one or two meetings, like that is not enough over 15 months. Unless you're perfect. Like unless you're perfect and you never need to be talked to. Which Skies is great. But nobody's perfect. So yeah. I'm. It, it strikes me as odd that it would be so infrequent. Yeah, I will say like, you know, there were, like we had meetings, you know, almost after every scrim, but like personalized meetings were a little different and more so like we would have meetings 
and if we had problems in scrims, like it was it was very hard for us as a roster to like fully know what the problem was. Well, that's a coach's it, job. That's the whole was, perspective of a coach, right? The coach is supposed to see it from above and assess what's wrong and try to fix it. I mean, I guess that's that's almost like what he tried to do, but it, it was like that roster was just so weird to know like actually what the problem was. You know, we all knew that we were, you know, some of the best players in the game on a, you know, really good uh, org and we we just kept having problems. Most of them would be the same problems, but we didn't know how to fix them. So you get dropped. You've read this report. Give me the give me the hours, the days before the drop and how things played out. Um usually usually when uh we were gonna make a roster change was like after, you know, a, an event or a LAN and all the other people on the team would know like the feeling because usually you we would take like a little more time off just to like you know, get everything signed with, you know, with the player. So, like, that week or two, like, leading up to it, like, I knew, like, I don't know, something was going to happen. I just knew something was going to happen. So, my, like, I guess, like, middleman or something like that, I guess you could call it, was Kyle. You know, I always talked about, I always talked to Mint or Kyle about everything Ross-related. I told him, I, I even told him, like, a month before, like, dude, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm probably gonna be cut. He's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I don't, I, I don't think you deserve to be cut. That's what he told me. And <laughs> it was just, I don't know, it was just the weirdest feeling ever. Did you think it was coming? Yeah, like I said, I knew there was a very good chance of me getting cut for two months. The worst part of it was uh, a day before I got cut, I messaged Brandon telling him like straight up like, yo, I know there's a very good chance of me getting cut. Um, Can you at least let me know ahead of time so I have, you know, like a good portion of time to to try and find another team. And he's like, yo, Matt, um, don't worry about anything. We're not going to make any changes. Uh, Just get ready for practice in the next couple days. And then next day rolls around. I'm obviously in a better mood because, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm not going to be cut. That's a great fucking message to get. Like all that weight. Like you got the coach confirming it, right? Just like, you're like, all right. Yeah. All that. I'm feeling good. I, I start my stream up at nighttime the next night playing ranked with the XSET guys. I even made a joke post. I think on Snapchat or, or Instagram or something, like saying, yo, I'm joining Xset. Because <laughs> I was playing with four of the Xset guys. And uh, I get a text or a call from Brandon saying like, yo, can you, can you come upstairs for a second? And Zach was in town, which I knew why Zach was in town. But, you know, after getting the message the day before, I, I, I thought I was at least safe. And as soon as I got that call from Brandon, I was like, fuck. I know, like, instantly. He's like, Brandon doesn't call or text me that, you know, that often. For him to do that, like, randomly at nighttime, it was just so weird. So basically, I had to 
you know, turn off my stream, 20 minutes on the streaming, and go up and get cut. How'd the conversation go? I mean, just normal, like any conversation. I, I expected a lot more emotion out of me, like during the conversation, but I mean, I was like super chill about it. I knew, I knew what was coming. I, you know, I, I knew why they were making a change. I just, obviously, I didn't think it was like it should have been me, but I knew why. So, I, like, I wasn't like mad at them, I guess. Basically, just went like, you know, this is a team decision. Um, like, we don't think you're like a bad player or anything. Like, you're a really fucking good player, but there's just something wrong with the team, and we feel like we needed a change, which is fair. You know, obviously, there was something wrong with the team or just how the team was ran or something like that that needed to change. I'm curious because it's very easy for us to assign things that are not, but we assign them to malice. I wonder if when they messaged you or Brandon, who's BC, messaged you at the time, you were genuinely safe because they didn't have anybody lined up. Yeah, And then the I, next day, an opportunity arises for them to get NJR, and all of a sudden, BC wasn't lying at the time. It's entirely possible he was telling you the truth. I See, I don't think he was necessarily, like, straight up lying, but I know damn well they were working that trade, like, that, uh, you know, that they were working on getting NJR for a, for a little bit. Whether it was set in stone or not. I feel like I should still know after knowing those guys for years on if I have like a good chance of getting cut. That's just where I'm at with that. I think that's a mature way of looking at it. But I mean, how do they go about having that conversation with you? Like, do they tell you, do they tell you a week in advance? Hey, you know, like we're, we're shopping for your replacement. Well, the thing is I already knew about it because I read the statement they put out two months before. That's fair. Like, and and the the thing is, is like, you know, there were other there were other players that were on the chopping block too, but after I read that statement, I put in more work than any of them. Some of them didn't even put in work after that. Right. It's like, yeah, that's. I mean, that's honestly the the normal reaction to seeing something like that. You know, like, why would I put in work if you know I'm already on the chopping block anyways? Yeah. I think there's but. two I think there's two schools of thought when you see that report, right? Some people some people react to criticism by closing down. And some people are motivated by it, right? Like it's very easy it's very easy for you to see that report on yourself and be like, "Holy shit, I got to work harder." Yeah. It's also very easy for you to look at it as I know from talking to players on teams in in the Rainbow Six ecosystem that they knew that they were getting dropped a month or two from them and they just stopped trying. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I know it's very easy for us to villainize DZ, and I'm certainly not going out of my way to try to carry water or cover up for them at all. But I can absolutely see why DZ, an org that is already, they like to play things super close to the chest. They, you know, they, to the best of my knowledge, they haven't had any roster moves leaked. So, like, the only NA org that hasn't really had any roster moves leaked. I can see why they would want to play this, like, close to the chest because of concerns with, you know, maybe they tell you, hey... We're thinking about replacing you saying it and not seeing it in a report isn't to is totally different and then have you yeah. just be like yeah okay well i'm done why you know fuck this org 
I've been with them for so long, you know, I'm not going to try. Like, I, I can see that. I can see that too, but I feel like them knowing me as a person like changes that. Like I, they already know me. They've known me for years. Like I've helped build that org from the ground up. Uh, they, the least they can do is give me like a heads up, in my opinion. I will say, I will say, you know, of this particular situation, I'm not your coach. I don't know you the way that your teammates do. But I stress, I, I, I stress this. I don't know anybody who's probably more relaxed in the entire NA ecosystem than you. So I, from the fact that they've been with you for this long, you're, I think you're right. If anybody, BC and Mint, should know how you handle this sort of stuff because they've known you for that long, right? You're not just some random person that flew onto this roster. Whether you deserve, by the way, whether you deserve a heads up or not is completely out of the question at this point. It's more so just on how would he handle it if we told him. Yeah. Look, at, look at Laxing. Laxing literally got dropped by C9. They openly wanted to replace him. They made an announcement that they were benching him. And what was his response? His response was, it's a business. You know, I get it. We move on. And then what happened two weeks later? They picked up the most eligible free agent on the market, Laxing, and he's back on the team. And guess what? It didn't impact his performance at all. So everybody, yeah. everybody kind of handles it differently, right? That's, I mean, that's where I felt like I was at. Like I've, I've been a part of us as, an, as a roster, as an org, cutting people many times like i know how it works i know why like i know at the end of the day is a it's a business so like in my mind it would be way easier for for you to just let me know and you know i could either you know if it doesn't happen then i could put in more work to show why like it shouldn't happen or if it does it does like that's just how it is right after you have this meeting it's nighttime you just finished streaming i mean reluctantly just finished streaming I, I will say that at least they did you a favor by not forcing you to have to play with the exit guys i think that was a real leg up for them right there because it got you out of that stack huge w um dude, they're just so many people are just praying on their downfall um what's your i mean do you you said you were expecting to be more emotional but you're not is it what kicks into your head in that case because you i mean frankly emotions would be totally understandable you've been a part of this core for i, I want to say almost half a decade so what is like what's the first thing that starts going through your head is it shit i have to find a new org is it is it like a pity party like what's the next step for you well the thing is a couple days beforehand i already started messaging nicks about joining Mirage because I knew there's a very good chance of me getting cut and I didn't want to get fucked. You know, if they found someone else, maybe they just tell me no. So I, I wanted to, you know, at least reach out to, to him, make sure I have a, a safe spot before, you know, before I actually get cut. And the whole emotions thing was mainly just in the meeting with Zach and Brandon. Like, I just felt like I had no emotions in that meeting. But after that, like... <laughs> You know, I went to my room. I was still perfectly fine. And then Paul walks into my room and I just started bawling. It was hard. That's a tough conversation to have, I'm sure. If you need a moment, by the way, I can I can happily fill the air here. Um 
but you you do something that's very smart and that's you secure a spot for yourself ahead of time on mirage now as far as i'm aware at this point mirage has quartz coming onto the roster no quartz is already on the roster technically yeah. but not legally so how quickly does that move because he doesn't have a visa at this point and now they have four players right so how quickly does this move for you what was the pace after that point um well they were already trying to find um players for for young spot because young was originally on the team and he decided to not play you're talking about young from eg not young alec correct Young, young from EG was yeah. their like flank watch, and then they found out about you know them getting the the NAL spot, so they all had to move. So they knew they knew Quartz couldn't get his visa in time, so they started looking for two spots. <laughs> um, they filled one of the spots with Benji Mula for for technically young spot, and then yeah, they they were they were trying out. I think they tried out like at least six different people from CL. But like as soon as I messaged him, like Christian or Gara basically told me like, yo, you have the spot if you want it. Not bad. Of course, they made a very smart move by taking Flynn off of the team. So, I mean, at this point, you'd, you'd messaged Nix ahead of time. Now, you view this, this Mirage roster that's just kind of come together. Right? Like you've got Dream on the team. You've got Benji on the team. Is there, is there excitement here? I know that you just went through this huge emotional moment leaving Dark Zero. But this is a new team, a very promising team. You know, it's a, it's a new org coming into the scene. Is there, does, does it immediately shift and it's, it's kind of like, okay, I'm sad, but now I'm very happy because there's something to look forward to? Um, it was definitely like a sad and a excited feeling. Because I knew, like, wherever I went, like, I wasn't going to play hard support unless, like, it was a team I felt like we can be the best if I was on hard support. Yeah. I knew it, like, yeah, whatever I team I went to, for the most part, it was going to be something new for me. Like, I was going to have to, you know, like, relearn a role or put in more work than than I would, you know, just playing support. Were you excited to be reunited with more of a role that wasn't so thankless? Huh. I mean, it was it was definitely like a lot of fun playing with the Mirage guys. We we had some we had some problems for sure, but you know, most of them are like basically rookies within the scene. So like me and Nix kind of like took it upon ourselves to like teach them a lot of you know how land goes, like what like what we should be doing. And it was it was cool, like teaming with uh, Christian again. You know, everyone on DZ always liked Christian. So, how much had he and Nix uh, evolved slash matured from when they were on Dark Zero? Because they, I mean, they went through they went through a lot. I mean, after Christian got dropped from DZ, he kind of went into the wilderness for a while. He was a part of, I think it was the Last Dance, if I remember correctly, in Challenger League. Yeah. And then, obviously, Nix was. Nix was all, all over. over the map. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you could just comment briefly on both of them and, and how you felt being with them on Mirage was different, if it was different at all, if they'd evolved as, as people and as, as personnel. 
Um, yeah, they were they were definitely different. Uh, Christian, back I guess you can call it back in the day was more just like he didn't. He was just he was just awkward, you know, a little awkward. Didn't know what was going on half the time. But like now, you know, I I feel like he's fully like set in stone, like of being like a coach. Like he knows what he wants to do. He has a vision, so it it's nice. He's still he's still like a goofball most of the time. So that's you know, I feel like you kind of need that within the team. You need one of those. And Nick's um he's gotten a lot better at his problems. More um. You know, like I said, more like kind of almost being like bipolar and in in some ways. He's gotten a lot better at that. There are still some days where I'm sure if you watch like uh, some of the Northern Lights videos, you can see me. You can see me like yelling at the team almost. That was more so yelling at Nix. (laughs) But Nix, one thing Nix does very well is he will never, ever be in a bad mood on game day. Never, ever. He always... Focuses up during game day, and he's honestly probably one of the best IGLs I've ever played with. Really? Yeah, he has he has really he has really good calls. I think okay. I think people I think people give Nix a little too much shit, but I mean at the end of the day, like nothing I say will probably change that, so it doesn't really matter. But I mean, he has his problems, but he also has his benefits. What I'm about to say is going to sound like a very stupid question. And I mean, it might be. But did you see this renaissance when you went on to Mirage? Because you put up some of the most impressive numbers and performances of your career on Mirage. After being on DZ and, you know, kind of being at the mercy of the role. Did you expect such a bounce back? And I know that that sounds silly because most people are going to say, yeah, of course. But, um, I feel like, but I feel like that's not an answer you'd give. I mean, I, ex- I expected a bounce back for sure, but not, not, you know, that, I guess, good of a bounce back. You know, I, like I knew I was a good player, obviously, but I haven't played those roles in fucking years. So I knew it, I might, you know, I might need like a learning, a learning uh, season or something like that. And to just like I guess do that well that fast, it was a little bit shocking. You you literally put up some of the best numbers of your career, and you know I, a lot of people speculated: is it because you're on a team that is as a team less experienced and you are benefiting, whereas the team is not? Do you think that it was the system that you played under that allowed you to succeed as well, wherein you know you were the win condition? for most games where it was, you know, let Houghton go kill. And that was it. Um, I think it was, you know, a good portion probably of both. Um, one thing that was good about that system is they just let me do whatever I wanted. You know, I wouldn't say, like, I got a lot of the resources. You know, it was more so just me doing my own thing. And kind of, like, also getting the other the other people on the team, you know, a little better over time. Like I worked with, you know, Dream a lot um, on on Hard Breach because he's still like pretty new on support roles. So I worked with him a lot on like when to actually like start IGLing executes, you know, what where to plant stuff like that. And I even worked with Loading a lot on like how to flank watch because I play that role too. And I feel like just like me and Nick's helping the team over time, kind of like sped up, sped up like how good the team was doing, you know. 
it, it was just so weird from going from like a team like DZ, you know, knowing that you're going to be competing, you know, for the biggest events ever and having all the little things polished. You know, most of the little things are polished on a team like that. And then going to like Mirage, where it's like they have very good base, but all the little things are not polished. Like I had to help, like kind of like like polish those things, the comps, the the little the little uh, tactics for droning, like stuff like that. It, it was just super weird. It's it, having been on a team as well polished as that for so long. I'm trying to figure out a way to ask it in, in a way that makes sense, but was there any frustration to almost taking a step backwards and just seeing things from your vantage point? And it's hard to not say, you know, like, oh, well, this would, you know, like on DZ, we did this. Or why can't it just be like this? Why is this happening? It's like those small mistakes. No, there's 100% definite, definitely some, some times where, you know, I would get angry because... You know, I'm so used to th these little things being done where, you know, in a scrim match, if it doesn't get done, I'm just like, why isn't it getting done? You know, like, I, I feel like we should know that. And, you know, the first couple matches were kind of were rough in that regard. And over time, you know, over countless scrims, couple arguments, you know, we we started uh, hitting our stride, I guess. I don't know. We, uh. We worked well as a team. We got through our problems well as a team, and then we kind of we executed a uh, game day like very very well. I would say quite well. You finished in the top four. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a frenzy, right? It's like a blur. You go from being on DZ one day to literally on Mirage a couple days later to playing for Mirage a couple days after that. And then you guys finish better than Dark Zero. In fact, you finish better than most of the league. Is that like a... I know that you're a very relaxed guy who doesn't often... You don't really pump your chest. No, but it was a very good feeling. <laughs> I was going to say, how, was, that a, was that a good moment for you? To see all of that come together and Mirage succeed as much as they did? Oh yeah, it was, it was very... It was very uh... It was, I don't know, it was just fun. It was a fun feeling. It was funny because it wasn't even, like, more so me, but even, the, like, the rest of my team, you know, on Mirage, they're like, you know, like, fuck those guys, they didn't deserve you anyways, like, we're gonna, we're gonna make them, you know, we're gonna punish them, and then we ended up placing higher, so it was just, it was just funny. You still have any contact with any of the guys on Dark Zero? Yeah, I mean, I'm still all, like, really good friends with with everyone on our, on Dark Zero, um, even you know even Brandon, like I'm I I would I would like to think I'm still friends with with Brandon. I don't really I don't really hold any grudges like towards them as as uh, people. It's more so just like you know the mistakes they they had while while doing it, which I mean it happens, right. You look at the changes that they made. So they picked up NJR for you. There's been a lot of criticism of Dark Zero online about the NJR pickup. And the biggest one seems to be that they move you, who is playing on support, off to bring in NJR, who's very similar to Hyper in terms of play style and doesn't necessarily fit the same mold, which required role swaps. From an outside perspective, and I know that it's almost impossible to decouple your personal opinions here, so try to. 
But do you think that NJR as a pickup made sense for Dark Zero at that particular moment in time? Um, it's hard. It's hard to say yes or no because, um, like picking up, I guess, like an up and coming player that's you know just had like a breakout season on a team that's right in the middle ground of like you know competing for top four or you know being bottom four is like it's almost hard not to pick a player like that up because you're you're literally hurting another team and by theory you're making your team better so like i understand why you know they they thought it was like a really good idea and 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 nj is like a really good player obviously you know he has really good aim he's almost like hyper like you said you know i i think he has a potential to be like a a hyper or um just kind of like fit any role they need it'll probably just take time i don't think that roster change was needed for me and support i understand the main reasoning why they did it was you know obviously skies and mint were the main igls we one of our big struggles was consistency in that department of igling um it just felt like we could never find it like there was days where our igling was you know the best ever and there was days where it kind of just fell off and i and i had to like pick that up so they wanted to get one of the the igls on the hard breach and that was i feel like that was probably the main reasoning why they, they chose me just you know cut the hard breach so we could get one of the igls onto it and then we'll just fill we'll just fill um you know whatever role they were playing with a better fragger. I, uh, I I find it interesting to look at the stat lines that we see out of support players from Dark Zero because the one thing that obviously I, as somebody who has no great amount of knowledge to the internal workings of the team, almost all of the former hard breachers slash support players from Dark Zero have said that in many ways they are not really enabled to thrive you're kind of put in a position where it's sink or swim. You have to do your own, you have to make your own success. The system does not allow you to, to get kills. The system does not allow you to, to really thrive in that way. Um, yeah. You know, and I remember I spoke to Pojo a while back and he said a lot of our strategies on certain maps were literally for me to just play as smoke and just use all three smokes and then just die and hopefully die as close to the final 30 seconds as possible. You know, so it's, that obviously is not going to go, over well for the stats and that's certainly going to draw you know some some bad looks from people watching that don't really dive into more than just like kills and deaths but i do i do find the pickup by njr interesting because you pointed out you know it was done to try and hinder disrupt it didn't they lost you and disrupt lost njr and you both finished atop dz in the standings and then dz you know at, at si was the first na team out they were the third team eliminated um which is a tremendous fall from grace, you know, a squad that a squad that had just won, you know, one of the online mini majors and finished in the top five of SI last year, you know, and essentially one calendar year, it, it obviously is not a great result. Right. And that's why you saw some major shakeups and right after SI, uh, mint and skies leave the team. Yeah. Why do you think, if you have, I mean, outside of what they've said, why do you think that is? 
why do they go from you know being two of the longest tenured players in north america to resigning in the same couple days i think um mints mints problem on i guess why he was you know started struggling towards the end was he just didn't have confidence in himself because his teammates didn't have confidence in him like it's it's so hard to have confidence in yourself if if your team like if you feel like your teammates don't have confidence in you and i i guarantee like that's where he was at that was kind of like you know what i did for him a lot of times you know i always had confidence in him like it's a 1v2 and your teammates are already like okay well this round is over let's just move on to the next one and meanwhile your your one player still left and they're like thanks guys i mean i guarantee most of the players probably did have confidence in them but it's like if Kyle feel or if Kyle felt like they didn't then it's going to go downhill and i guarantee that's how he felt which is insane because i mean you can mint is mint and you and skies in fact all three of you are abnormal in clutch situations. I, I have seen all three of you just win the most unthinkable shit, right? Yeah, and, Kyle, and, the and, and that was what the eagle scream was for. So, what were we, sorry, what were you going to say about Kyle? Uh, I said he's probably one of the best clutch players I've ever seen. And I guarantee, like, you know, if he didn't get a coaching role and he went to a team that actually had confidence in him, he would be, he would do the same thing I did on Mirage. Yeah. Like, like a resurgence. No yeah. And did I, it, I, you know, I think he could still play, but I, I'm glad that he, because I know he's been wanting to coach for a while and he's been thinking about retiring for a while. Yeah. You know, he's getting old. He's getting, getting them gray hairs, but, uh, you know, I'm glad that he actually, like, found a solid spot. The thing that puzzled me the most about both Mint and Skies is that neither of them are bad. Like, Skies has been superbly consistent. And, and I, I, you know, no offense, I, Skies was the only good player on that team at SI. He was the only yeah. person who actually showed up. I mean, w watching those SI games, that was by far the worst I've ever seen DZ play. Like, by far. It, like, like it just looked like they had no life in them. Like they didn't change anything. There was there was so much hesitation on their entry. Uh, on their roams were not particularly frightening. They get droned out quite quickly, and then oftentimes you're literally left with skies to just kind of flounder, and somehow win a high number of rounds just like by himself. And I did for for us. I, I did a like a co stream with uh, Jesse. Basically, you know, like analyzing DZ like while they're alive, and it's just it's crazy to me that I I still know literally all their strats they ran at SI. Like how how is like nothing changed from when I was on the team till you know to SI? I knew everything down to the T of what they were gonna do. For the record, you were dropped February twenty third. Two yeah. months, two, three months. Technically, and they hadn't changed up. I mean, to be fair, that is a short period of time to change up everything. And if you think it's working to a certain extent, stick with it, maybe. I mean, but it wasn't working in NAL, so it's like I feel I feel like there was at least some time to change to change things up. Yeah, and like 
And, uh, another reason why I was, I mean, probably the main reason why I was dropped is because, like I said, the IGLing, you know, they wanted Skies or Kyle in, in the IGLing, uh, or in the hard breach seat to IGL and change the mid-round. But, like, that whole tournament, there was nothing that changed in mid-round from what I saw. It just looked like they 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 stuck to the scripts, and then their scripts just got demolished by everything. Yeah. So they didn't know what to do. Do you take any... I don't want to say credit, but if you hadn't been moved off of that squad and no roster move had been made, you think that Skies and Mint would still be playing? Uh, yeah, for sure. I definitely think so. It's uh, always be interesting to hear their perspective on that as well. Let's turn to the present, though. You're with SSG. We are at two and a half hours at this point. I want to move into the final half hour segment, which is just me talking to you, of course, outside of this and talking about you in real life, because obviously there's more to you than just you being in, you know, cyber pro athlete sportsman. Um, so you go to SSG. How did that happen? You're with Mirage. You're doing really well. Mirage finishes third place. I think Mirage was third, if I remember correctly. Um, you're having a hell of a time putting up some of the best stats in the NAL, and then you go to SSG. How's it happen? Um, I remember it was the day that Troy retired or like announced his retirement. It was, I think, right before the season started or like in the middle of the season. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Troy, Troy retired like days. It was like three days before the first play day or something like that. And I remember SSG put out a thing like saying, you know, we're interested in buying out players stuff like that and obviously uh it's against the rules for like me to like reach out and stuff like that coaching rules so, by the way for those that yeah. are curious yes so christian or gara basically came to me instantly that night and said he's like yo like do you think you'd want to go there at the end of the season because if so like you know i could talk to mirage and you know try and try and get them to get a little head start on that and I was like, I was thinking to myself, like, I don't know, like, what you guys would have to, you know, give me or, like, what we would have to do as a team in order for me not to go there. It's just such a good opportunity, which, you know, all the players understood. And they knew that I was, you know, potentially had a very good chance of leaving since the start of the team. And... Yeah, after, at the end of the season, I I mean, I honestly didn't think I was going to like get the spot. I just I just had a weird feeling about it. And I couldn't really do anything. You know, I can I couldn't really talk to them. After SI, they they hit up Mirage. Mirage tells me, you know, SSG's interested, and at the time I had, you know, other orgs interested too. I think DG uh was interested, Xset was interested. So I was I I basically had meetings with all, with a bunch of different orgs and yeah I mean after that it kind of I kind of just sighed I don't know you hear that first things first Houghton says Xset and DG not good enough you heard it here first um I'm kidding I mean at the start uh even before Mirage I had an offer to go Mirage or Disrupt. Right. I tried out for the, those were the only two teams I got offers from. I tried out for both those teams. Um, 
And the only reason I went with Mirage, well, not the only reason, but a good a good reason why I went with Mirage was uh, basically a clause I got in my contract saying that uh, after the first stage of NAL, if um, well, I could have rene- renegotiations about you know my salary and stuff like that, and if we don't come to terms, then I'm a free agent. Those were the that was the clause. That's a pretty I good like, clause. I feel like that was too too good to pass up because it it just gave me a lot of uh, a lot of freedom. You know, after if I had a really good stage, which I did, then I knew like I wanted a, at least like uh, you know renegotiation in in my contract. All right. How did, how was that turnaround? Did you ever reflect on the fact that you went from in the span of four months, you went from being dropped from an org that you'd been with for three four years to then having an incredible breakout season, and then basically being the most sought after player in the entire weird. league? It was weird because I've I've never been like a free agent where you know teams have like reached out to me. You know, only time I was ever a free agent was when I got cut from F3, and then a week later I went back. So it was, it was just like a weird feeling. I was scared when I got cut from DZ that, you know, I wouldn't have like I wouldn't have have had like a good amount of choices or even any choice. Because like I don't know if if players look at my stats, at least during the season I was negative like 30. You know, that's those are not good stats to look at. Who's laughing now? Hey, I still got a lot of lots of proof. I think you can. That, I think you can acknowledge that, and I appreciate the human element of that. But you can also stand there smugly and realize that you literally proved everybody who doubted you wrong. I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely slid in my shit talk, you know, to to some of the DZ members, you know, friendly shit talk, but I and mean, it's well deserved from how you played. You uh, you started off with a bad game. Your first NA game with SSG not so great. You bounce back for your second game. How has the learning curve been for this team? Uh, playing with the SSG guys has been like kind of crazy because you know I went into the team thinking I was probably just gonna fill Troy's role. You know, just play hard breach and then whatever he played on defense, which in my opinion was like it made sense because you know they already had a winning formula before with Troy so why not just fill it and then we could work from there um but they had a totally different idea coming into the season um after SI they basically wanted to change their playstyle you know they saw how how well it was working for the Brazilians and we basically came onto the team only only dry ran defenses. Our attacks are all, all free flowy. It's basically just based on, you know, what I call in the round or what Fultz calls in the round for attacks, and we just kind of like work around the problems instead of having a set structure, you know, like most NA teams are used to. Are you and Fultz splitting IGL duties? Uh, yeah, I'm the main IGL for attack. Fultz helps me a lot on attack, and then uh. Bosco is like the main IGL for all anything defense related. He's obviously sharpening his IGL skills right now by playing Valorant. So 
I don't know. It might be too hard to control some of the Valorant players. Those guys are weirdos. <clears throat> How have you been enjoying your time on SSG so far? Is there any major difference that you've noted with them as a team slash them as an org versus your time on DZ? Because I know it's probably hard to not want to compare the two. Um, there's there's a lot of similarities and there's a a couple differences. You know, SSG they're all like kind of like almost like family oriented. You know, they're very close. They do a lot of things together, which was kind of like how we were on DZ for a long time. And uh, I would say the main difference is more so just the schedule and the pressure. You know, there's no there's no pressure from the org to to be the best. Like we all know we want to be the best, so it like it should happen anyways. And it's like if we had like one bad showing, it's not gonna you know feel like hell's like raining upon you. SSG's been quite reluctant to make roster moves. Which is, I feel like, the polar opposite to, to DZ. And is that something that, in any way, is that something that factored into a decision to land on them, too? 100%. I mean, that was, like, a big reason for me wanting to play hard support for this team. Because I knew, like, damn well, like, you know, they weren't, they weren't going to cut me if I had one bad season. You know, they weren't going to cut me if I had two bad seasons. Because, I mean... Even Troy, I mean, Troy went negative with this team. Did they Troy's stats were terrible. Him? They never thought Fucking about Fucking awful. Him. He was so bad, stats-wise. I mean, that's just what it is for support players sometimes. So, uh, like, this team knows that, and I, I, knew, I knew going into it that, you know, as long as I, you know, fit in well with the team and we work well together, then, you know, everything should, be, should go smoothly. Well, I know that obviously I can't be biased, but I hope things continue to go well for you and obviously for the team too. I can separate my feelings for you as a person and a player from your own team because frankly, I don't give a shit if SSG does well or not as a team, but it's nice to see good people do well. So I'm, uh, I was gutted when I saw the DZ situation. Skies was in the chat, by the way. He said that you were the glue that kept the team together. And then when asked directly, if he would still be on the team had you been there, he said that he would be. So I think the impact like that people that you've had on people in the game is huge. And I think I don't think you could find a former teammate of yours that wouldn't speak highly of you. Doesn't matter whether you're on DZ or Mirage or on Blue Gaming. I'm sure that uh I'm sure that they would all say good things. And for the record, Skies also said that the new roster seems happy and refreshed, just as a side note. Yeah. So it, it I do seems agree with that. it seems like a win-win, which is good. Sometimes these things need to happen for people to to grow and all that, even if it does suck at the time. So, uh, outside yeah. of that, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we move off of the topic of your gaming history? Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is like, I don't want anyone to like spread hate about like DZ or even like BC or anyone in that realm. Uh, you know, I saw love those guys. That will still always be, you know, one of the best orgs I've ever played for. Um, you know, sometimes shit happens, and I I know that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business, and if they felt like this was the right decision for them at the time, then I there's not much I can hate on, you know, about that. I just wanted to tell everyone, like, I don't my side of things, not not spread hate. Yeah. 
And I mean, obviously, people here are going to be appalled by some of the things that you said. I saw I've been kind of monitoring the, the chat's live interaction. And a lot of the things that you said are honestly pretty straight, pretty standard in a business scenario. And the thing is, is that a lot of people, especially fans, they don't view sports nor esports as the industry that it is. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. You know, like the amount of money that gets poured into Rainbow Six esports is in the tens of millions and people don't really people don't really conceptualize that and that sometimes you have investors and you have people who write checks to you who don't care how nice a member of your roster is they care about marketing and winning and yeah all that comes with it and a lot of people don't really think about it that way so uh i'm glad that you finished off on that note though because I mean, regardless, people are going to do whatever they want to do, but it's always nice to hear people actively say that because there's all too many times and you, you, you've you seen people in this industry and you've seen people in Rainbow Six Esports who are all too okay to just fade into the background and let hate just get piled on and not take responsibility for it. So I appreciate that you stepped out and said that. So now onto the human side of things. The one thing that I did want to do and I, I kind of tried to do it uh a while back is I want to spend the final 20 to 30 minutes that were originally booked up for questions from the audience. Uh, I just wanted to ask the same questions to everybody and I'm still kind of going through them because I don't, I haven't really settled on what questions I want to ask, but they are attempted there. It's an attempt to humanize you past your profession. So the first question is what is your favorite video game series? You're not allowed to say rainbow six, by the way, what's your favorite video game series or your favorite video game? I feel like that's a hard question because I have many hours in certain games, but I don't know if I'd call them my favorite, you know? Like, I love League of Legends. Is that my favorite ever? I'm not sure. I would, you, say, that, I, I would if, say the Halo series. I love the Halo series. If you could wipe your brain and go back and play any game or series for the first time ever, I think that would be a better way of looking oh. at it. If, if I looked at it like that, I would 100% pick... Um, it's an old game. It used to be called War Z, but now it's called New Z Infestation. I'm pretty sure. And that game was just so much fun. That was actually the game where where Summit, the streamer, he basically started streaming and kind of like grew his audience from there. Like I remember him having only like 40 viewers on that game. Is it like and Daisy? It's kind of yeah, it's kind of like Daisy, but just not as buggy like a with a way better <laughs> way better uh actual like gameplay system i don't know it, it was more like uh pvp oriented what is your most controversial gaming opinion most controversial uh hmm i think dota sucks <laughs> I feel like that's pretty controversial, you know. I agree. Uh I don't know anybody who actively dislike uh Dota. I know people who are frustrated by MOBAs, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever say like Dota sucks. Usually League of Legends players. Yeah. I just Dota just seems like too much, you know? Like they try to do too much with the MOBA. 
it's just it, it seems so hard to watch i can't watch it there's too much visual clutter like i was watching i i've obviously been getting in the league i went back and i was like you know what maybe i'll like dota because i have more friends that play dota than league yeah. i went and i watched a bunch of like dota videos and it was like i couldn't tell who people were or what they were doing the ui yeah. was really bad like the graphics are clunky and i just looked at it and i was like how do you understand what's happening here there's so much visual clarity is terrible it's not much better in league but it i would say it is definitely better so yeah. what is what is this is obviously in the same vein of controversial but what is one video game series or one game in particular that you just do not understand why people like it hmm. let me think i feel like uh, most of the like the later call of duties it's just like Call of Duty was so good for like a certain amount of time, but like after that, it's just like on repeat. And I feel like like outside of like Warzone, there's just nothing new. I don't know. It doesn't feel like anything new comes out for like those kinds of games. It's just like new weapons, or it's just like the same weapons with a reskin. It's the Madden and FIFA model. Yes, yeah, the Madden. Yeah, I mean Madden's the same way. Well, I mean. You're not really revolutionizing football. I mean, that's different, but you can you can revolutionize like COD. I feel like, but I, I guess they tried with like you know jetpacks and stuff. But I don't know. It's just I, outside of like Warzone, I've never played COD too much. I don't find the I don't find the gameplay outside of Warzone on Call of Duty for me anymore. I mean, I cut my teeth with Call of Duty. Right, like COD 4 is one of my most played games of all time. Modern Warfare 2 is the only thing I can even remotely close to say that I went like professional in. And it's just like I can't. I just see the gameplay now and it's just it's indistinguishable. You know, like it's everything yeah. is the same. There was a stat. I don't know if you saw it. It was a couple of years back. I think it was when it was like the 360 and the PS3 or it was the Xbox X and the PS4. It's something like 60% of console owners only buy two games a year call of duty and if you live in america madden and if you live in europe fifa that's it wow. it's, it's like 60 percent or something like that only buy two games a year it's crazy crazy it's nuts like so i guess it's formulaic like i guess it works do you play warzone yeah i play warzone uh a good amount i've been playing with the team the skies has been streaming it actually um yeah I I liked I liked Warzone, but I don't I don't like how sweaty battle royales get. When I usually want to sweat, I'll play Rainbow, maybe League, but outside of that, I just want to like have a nice like chill game. Warzone is not yeah. a chill game. Yeah, it's not. It's I, a rage game. I liked Plunder a lot because that was chill. Like you spawn with your loadout, you just run around and collect money, and you kill people, and that's it. And I was like, this seems fun. It's not competitive at all, but I liked it. And I think it's gone now, but. The the best thing in Warzone was the the Halloween mode that they put out, like the zombie mode. You just basically when you died, you became a zombie, and you just had to like collect. You had to go kill people and collect like three things to like get spawned back in. And I don't know, that was like the most fun game mode in in Warzone because you just kept spawning in basically. That was plunder, plunder. You just spawn right back in. Like you drop, you die, and then you just spawn right back in. It was great. Mm. What is your favorite food? Favorite food. 
I would probably have to say like more like Asian inspired cuisine. Like I love like uh, Korean barbecue, hot pot, if you know what that is. Um, stuff like hot pots basically it's basically Korean barbecue, but instead of like cooking meats on a barbecue, you cook it in like a soup broth. Okay. It's it's next level. You gotta try it over a Korean barbecue. It's better. Bacon said that Canes is your favorite food and that you're lying. Canes? I mean it's not my favorite, but Canes is up there for fast food. What is your least popular food opinion? If you were a goddess, you would say that you like ketchup on your steak, or that you hate sushi, or that you just hate life in general, and that everybody deserves to suffer. What is your most controversial food opinion? Ketchup on steaks, that's just not, that should not be a thing, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say my most controversial food opinion like, I hate mustard. Like, I don't... Anything with mustard in it is just not good. For the most part, I'm, I like most food. I used to be very picky, and I I didn't even like like a cheeseburger. Like I I could not eat anything when I was little. You have the rampy diet where you only eat chicken fingers. Yep. Yeah. That was me. That was me until I was like fourteen. Now my rule is I'll try everything at least once. What don't you like about mustard? The only the only way mustard's good is like honey mustard. Mustard. I don't know. The taste of it's just weird. Like what? Like what is it good on? See, I'm that way, but with ketchup, I don't like the only thing that I like ketchup on is dipping grilled cheese. That's it. That's the only thing I like ketchup on is dipping a grilled cheese in it. Nothing else. I, I appreciate ketchup. I feel like that's weird. I mean, we all when that's I, that's why I asked the question, right? Everybody has like weird food choices. And it's so like, look at chat. Chat has not moved this fast in so long. Like chat is blowing up. You talk about one thing. Everybody just. Zach says, tell everyone how you threw up during the wing challenge. Would you like to elaborate? Oh, God. Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to say one thing. I did not throw up. I drank so much water that it was just pure water that came out. Okay? Basically, the it wing challenge. sounds like challenge, you threw up. No, no, no. It wasn't. I was just spitting out water. Okay? Um, the wing challenge. We did the hot ones challenge. And uh, everyone did the last wing besides Nick. He, he pussied out on the last wing. But... That was the worst pain I've ever felt, probably ever. Um, the last wing, I ate it. I probably drank like four four cups of water, and I was just having my tongue in ice, and then my stomach just hit me, and I I I basically threw up water on the on the plate. Yeah, you just regurgitated. You didn't throw yes. up then. Yes. Jordan Bacon says I cried on the toilet after that challenge. That was yeah one of the worst parts going to the bathroom after that whole fiasco i mean jordan is also the guy who calls everybody on the internet a beta and likes to pretend that he's an alpha when in all reality that dude's like a delta so he's, I, he talks a big game he's part of the jeep gang though <laughs> the first day I, I drove with jordan in his jeep he was just riding around every time he saw a jeep what's up jeep gang every time that is so lame that is so fucking lame my dad said that that you can relate to this because we both own the same car my dad is like when you go like and drive around as a tesla like do you wave to other tesla owners and i was like fuck no it's a car like what yeah, it's like you're driving around man my dad came home because he drives my car to work every now and then and he comes home and he's just like some guy in a model x like honked and waved at me earlier today and i was like 
<laughs> like, I don't want to wave to anyone when I'm driving. It's just Jordan posting photos with, like, who else has a Jeep? Mark has a Jeep. Is Henry... Does Red yeah, Jeep have a Jeep? They just like post their Jeeps together, like they're at a fucking like Jeep orgy. Like, dude, no one cares. One Who? <laughs> creators. Goddess apparently has a Jeep as well. Goddess just said I had somebody leave a rubber duck on my Jeep with a note that said, "Thanks for being part of the Jeep gang." Dude, there's no way it's that. Uh, there's no way. You pe- get a life. Like, what are you? <laughs> like, get a fucking life. What are you doing with yourself? Like. Oh, I have a car that's terrible on gas mileage and has an abnormally high center of gravity, so it rolls all the time. Like, cool! Like, get up! Like, what are you doing? Like, oh my god. I will say, Jeeps are nice, though. I you, like, the funny thing them, is, I just said all that, is I like Jeeps, too. But I mean, if like... If you use them for the right things, if you just get a Jeep to have a Jeep, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's if like... you take it out a lot, you know, you know actually use it, then... I, you know, I like Jeeps. Jordan's Jeep's really nice. I don't know if you have this in California, but I mean, like, outside of Toronto, it gets, like, Toronto, like, Ontario, the province gets, like, Alabama very fast once you leave Toronto. And we have a lot of, like, country folk who live in, like, cities of, like, 200,000 people, but they're like, I'm a country gal! And it's like, no, you're not. Like, you live in the suburbs. They will buy, like, those Ford, like, extended cab F-150s, and it's like, some like blonde haired white girl who weighs like a hundred pounds and it's like you're not hauling anything why do you have that like so you can take up two parking spots at walmart like why did you buy that i don't get it i don't know if i don't know if you have the same thing in california but it's just like i don't know what the big the big thing around us is either yeah like a f-150 or or a ricer i don't know if you know what a ricer is yeah I do. Yeah. Are we allowed to say that anymore? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's still used. I don't know if it's allowed to be. I feel like it's one of those words where it's like, <laughs> I know it. I don't know. I don't the record. Know. We'll let they chat see, decide. Chat will probably be like just a, a, a bunch of high school kids with a souped up yeah. Honda Civic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thinking it's it fast, but it's not. Yeah. Um, what is the best memory that you have tied to this job? since you got involved in esports best memory ooh i don't know if it's the best but it's just the one that came to mind that's like a good memory me and paul are hyper for everyone that doesn't know who paul is me and paul were in japan we went out to eat with uh zach the owner of dz kickstar bricer and someone else i think we went and got ramen mm-hmm. And we had a game the next day, so me and Paul had to go back to the hotel. But we were in the middle of, of Nagoya, which is a big city there. And Zach and Kix and them went out to the bars, I think. So they basically just gave us our, our train tickets and told us to go, go find the right train. And me and Paul got lost on the train system for like three to four hours, it felt like. <laughs> we, we were just lost in the middle, middle of Japan. We got on like two or three wrong trains, and then we finally, we finally found uh, some tourists that were going back to the airport. And luckily, they spoke English, so we we just went with them. Kix just said those noodles were amazing. Yes, that was the best ramen I've ever had by far. I think we went to the same ramen place as you, by the way. It was it was like a chain, but they yeah, had a couple like locations. A yeah, it was like a vending machine thing that you like pick your yeah. order out of. Yeah, that's yes. what we did. You have to go up and you have to get like your ticket from it. 
Um, I was surprised with how antisocial the whole like ramen thing is. Like I'd heard about it. Like westernized ramen locations are just like normal restaurants, right? Like, but it's like the place that we went to was literally just like a. It was like a bench basically with like individual seats. Yeah, that was it. And you just sit there and you just stare at a wall. You're like, cool. I dig this. Japan was was very cool. Did you? You? I don't think you came. Did you end up going to the sushi restaurant in the airport? Mm, no best sushi i've ever had in my life it was in an airport i actually i'm dumb and we did not get to like try any sushi when we were there we went, we went out guys and we we tried like um it was cool i don't remember what place we went to but it was like a huge box of just like different kinds of dumplings but it was like like 10 different kinds and they all like looked like crazy we went to a place that had that that was pretty good and then yeah we went to the ramen place and what's crazy is like that's probably not even like a good ramen place there but that ramen was like insane to me <laughs> like i i that's the that's like when we were in milan we ordered like pizza from i don't know some like uber eats just like regular pizza place and then one of the guys like one of the casters was like that's like the worst pizza place like in the city and we were like this is the best pizza i've ever had in my life like, <laughs> it's, like i don't know what to tell yeah. you like um, I, I was going to ask this question, but I feel like giving time for you to just talk about it. Cause I, I feel like I know the answer. I was going to ask who's the best person that you've met in esports, and well, I think we know her name. So I feel like that's an easy question for you. Well, my girlfriend, Fia, I don't know if I met her. I mean, I guess I met her through esports. I met her basically on Twitter though. What do you use Twitter for, Matt? Okay, I, I, I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to slide in though. Free sports. I want to give you. I want to give you a podium because I think that you two are wonderfully, wonderfully delightful. And I always, I've seen like the videos of her like coming to visit and stuff. And I know, and anybody who's spoken to you knows how much she means to you. So I was going to give you some time to to talk. She's very angry. She said that you hesitated. By the way. Now she's very mad at you. So hesitated. What do you mean? You were still talking. You ask her. I don't know. She's the one who said it. Yeah, she gets like this sometimes. She's weird. <laughs> no, obviously, I, I, you know, meeting. I guess meeting like meeting someone like that over esports is kind of crazy. You know, I never thought I would meet someone like that, but. It kind of just happened. I literally just... I don't even think I was following her at the time. She just made a post about like getting a team's jersey for SI. And someone I followed liked it. And I basically I said, yo, get a DZ1. And then we just started talking from there. See? Uh, I'm at Kickstar. True love is possible. It unites all these people together. But... How long have you guys been married? I think three and a half years. Going strong. Yeah, you can see right here. I think he's still in the chat. I don't know. He's married to his car now. He bought a BMW. So that was a nice looking BMW. It is a nice. How much? How much is that one? I think it's like forty thousand. Oh really? I think I think he got it on a lease though. Oh okay. 
think you it looks know. like it would be nicer, like more than 40, 40 grand. How much is it? I think it'd be nicer. That's you on the record right now talking about his car. I thought no, it'd be nice. No, I'm saying it looks nicer than 40 grand. Like it looks like super expensive. It is a nice looking car. Uh, and at least he's already embracing that BMW turn signal joke, which got somebody like very angry about when I responded to his tweet being like, did you get the optional turn signals? And somebody's like, shut the fuck up, man. Like, and I was like, bro, I could not care if it offends you or not. Like, learn how to drive. I like, I like BMWs. I my do as well. Car, my dream car is the, the i8. That's the I electric one, looks. right? I think it's half electric. Is it? I can't remember if it's full electric or not. Pretty sure it's half. There's a gold one, fully wrapped in gold, that drives around Toronto that I've seen in North York a couple times. It's horribly ugly. Do not get it wrapped in gold. It's just like... Dude, it's it's single-handedly made the car so so fucking hideous. Yeah, there's there's actually one in our neighborhood. It's like black and gray. It looks so nice. See, that would look good. But I mean, like, it's all they've done is they've replaced like the white panels on it with like super shiny gold. But it's not even like it's like a dirty gold. It's not. It's like not like a bright. I don't know. It's really ugly. Like a bronze, almost. Almost kind of like a bronzish gold. I don't know. It's not. Yeah. It's not great. Maybe it's the same one. Toronto Will just said an I8 parks around my pace all dusty brown. I mean, this one's gold. Maybe it's the same one. I don't know. His name's Toronto Will. So <laughs> seems to me that we live in the same city. So uh, that's actually hilarious. If you weren't in esports, what would you want to do for work? Um, that was always a hard question. It kind of just kept changing throughout my life, you know? For a good while, I wanted to be a cop, and I was like, "Nah, I don't really want to be a cop." And then I actually like—I really like to cook, so I, I kind of wanted to become a chef for for a good for a good minute. And I've always liked history too, so I always thought about like being a history teacher. Like those were like the three things. I could see you being a teacher. I could see you being any of those, for the record. But I think you'd make a. I think you'd make a kick-ass teacher. I just always had cool history teachers, so I don't know. I think that's what like made me like it a lot. History is a cool topic. And the best part is, just, is you don't need to make anything up. It's already right there for you. Yep. Right. What is something about you that would surprise people? It could be a hobby. Maybe you spend all of your downtime crocheting. What is something about you off-screen that would surprise people if they were to find out. Hmm. Uh, I'm really uh, seven foot tall. Nope. Damn. I don't. I don't know if I have anything because I mean I used to say I loved cooking a lot, but now that's like not really like a a secret thing. Right. Um. I love. I love playing. Like I've played basketball and football like all all throughout my life. I'm I'm definitely worse at basketball than I am football, but I've played basketball longer, so that it it doesn't you know it doesn't mix well. But yeah, I don't I don't I don't have anything like crocheting or anything. I mean, crocheting was just an example. I just thought of something where it's like every now and then, every now and then I'll talk to somebody and I'll hear like they play a game or they 
they speak another language or, you know, they, they record music or they are working on writing a novel and it's like, oh, well, okay, that's interesting stuff. Alex just said, tell them about the golf clothes. Tell us about the golf clothes, Matt. Me and Paul, we trolled so hard. When we first got to Vegas, we were, we were uh, in an Airbnb because they were getting the DZ house ready. Mm-hmm. So we were like super bored all day. So we started going to the golf course and like, uh, you know, doing the driving range and stuff and, and hitting balls. And the first day we're like, yo, let's go get some golf clothes so we can actually go to the course. We went to this. We didn't even know. We went to the nicest fucking store in Summerlin. We bought like $500 golf clothes. But we, we both took them up to the register, not knowing the price. And then they told us the price, and we kind of got suckered in just still paying for it. How much were they? Uh, Paul, Paul bought more than I did, and his, his were expensive. I'm not hearing a number here. Mine, I think, was around 300 for two for two things, for just shorts and a shirt. And his were more? Yeah, he bought like four things, and his were, yeah. Um, the funny thing is we tried going back the next day to return them and they said no returns. So we just looked like dumbasses just walking out of the store. We're just like, fuck, man. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I get that pressure though. Like I get it. Like you'll find something nice and then like the salesperson's just like, there, just kind of like, are you going to get it? And you're like, yeah. They're like helping us like a lot, you know, like looking through the store, <laughs> and then you get you get to the register and you're like, "Fuck, I'm I'm not buying this." Why didn't you look at the price tags? Like, I feel I like know. that's the normal human thing. Is like whenever you want to buy something, the first thing you do is you look at how much it costs. Or are you just such ballers that you're like, "How no. much is it? I'll take ten. Then I think actually after that. I think the next couple of days, uh, I just went to like Walmart and just bought golf clothes there. How many times have you worn the three hundred dollar golf outfit? Uh, once. <laughs> I feel like we started this whole call talking about like saving and not going to Balenciaga. That uh, I will say, I don't spend a lot of money. Okay, I, there are times when I do spend money. You know, I'll, I'll splurge a little bit, but. I don't got Balenciagas. No, you have a Tesla and three hundred dollars golf clothes that you don't even wear. Like, why don't you at least wear them? I I haven't been golfing. You know, we're just starting to golf again, so I'm gonna start wearing them now. You had a whole year. <laughs> you had a whole yeah, year to the, golf. I was on the DZ schedule. Like, when do I have time? I don't know. Bosco golfs a lot, so I'm sure you probably have a. Yeah, we've already gone once. And you didn't wear the outfit, by the way. It wasn't clean, okay? I had to to move all my clothes from the Mirage place over. They were in in bags. (laughs) I put them in with the dirty clothes, so I have to re-clean them. Jesus. The last question isn't a question, but is there anything that you want to say to anybody, etc.? Is there anything that hasn't been touched on? that you wanted to touch on could be game related could be anything else the floor is yours to conclude the interview um i feel like there's not much else i can say i feel like most of the things we've hit on pretty well the only thing i will say is like i'll say the biggest 
like troll in my esports career. It was like yesterday I was playing League with Parker, and he was like 0 and 12 with Nasus. And I don't think I did that badly. I thought it was like oh, I thought it was 0 and 10. <laughs> That's not much better. Do you want to do you want to contextualize it for the people who are now wondering why? I do not play top ever. I play jungle. We were playing with Bosco, who only knows how to jungle because he's new to the game. So I agreed to play top, never playing top. And I was playing up against a Smurf on Viego, who just absolutely handed me my own ass. I don't know if he was a Smurf, but his stats said he was a Smurf for the record. But okay. Shit. Anyway, you know, I I. I got beat that game too, mid lane. So we'll everybody in chat's like, ah, he's a bottom. I was like, I jungle. Jungle is not bottom. Jungle is all over the map. But whatever, chat. Fuck you. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. That was not even that big of a troll. We won like the next three games. So I don't even no, know I'm, why. I'm, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. That was just a bad game altogether. All, all of us were terrible that game. That was a dreadfully bad a, one. So a warm up game. That's all it was. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much else to say. Uh, I feel like the cliche thing is just to thank all the fans. You know, appreciate you guys being with me and supporting me through like four different teams in the past year. But uh, yeah, I mean, I hope to stream a little bit more. Plug plug my Twitch. You all of your socials, by the way, if you'd like to say them out loud, go ahead because the audio crowd won't have access to the links, but. For people who are watching this back on YouTube, all of the links will be included down below. So, if you'd like to stream at least at least two to three days a week. We'll see how that goes. But if you do want to watch me stream, it's on Twitch.tv/hotandcold98. And where can and they find you on Twitter, Instagram? Do you TikTok? Twitter, just Twitter.com/hotandcold. The rest of that shit. I won't use enough to for, for you to actually warrant a follow, but Yeah, you got the OG Twitter handle name. I know. I did not have it, but Sportrick helped me with that. Did you get it while you yeah. were with DG? Sportrick Sportrick was with DG. Or sorry, when you were with Mirage. Sportrick was with DG. How did he help you get it? Um well after I got cut from DZ, I had DZ still in my name for Twitter. Right. And he just randomly messaged me, like saying, "Like, hey, I can get your name changed," and then just did it. So that was cool. cool. Sportrick's not with DG anymore, is he? He just does FPL stuff, I think. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah he, he was, said he just know, he just knows someone like in Twitter. His DMs are now going to be blowing up. <laughs> Can I get uh, a this? Bunch, a, a bunch of players were asking me like how I got it changed so fast, and I I, I told Sportrick, I was like, "Do you want me to refer you?" He's like, yeah, go ahead. So I just, I just told him to go to a sport trick. It's like I have received over the last like two weeks. I've got four DM requests on Instagram, basically saying like, get free followers and free verification through us. Click this link, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do that for sure. Thank you. Random account that's called like IG verified underscore 1970. Like, sure. Now we know where you, where you got all your followers from. Yeah, I I had to I bought them all, you know, just just exchanged currency for more popularity. That's how it works. I'm down yeah, so You'd bad. be surprised how many people do that. I don't understand. Like you can find out like right away. Yeah. Like 
just instantly. go on social blade and you'll just see the graph of yeah. people just spike up all of us oh you gained you know you like i've had crazy spikes during events and stuff like that but it's it's also it's funny whenever you go to someone's profile and they'll they'll have like a hundred and fourteen thousand followers and then their tweets get six likes and you look at it and you go i feel like something is really wrong here <laughs> so yep. well with that said whether you're going to be streaming or not, I, uh, I hope that people take the time to to connect with you and anybody that comes on here. It was a pleasure to have you. We're just a smidge over the three hours. I'm without Troy on the show. I have determined that I don't really want to go over three hours unless we can avoid it. But I mean, I feel like the conversation was good. And this time it was 16 minutes so far. We actually started a little bit early, a little bit late. So um, it was okay, great. Fast. It went by very fast. It does not feel like we've been live for three hours and 20 minutes, but here we are. I appreciate you coming on the show, telling your side of the story. Of course, I saw for those of you that are going to watch this on Twitch, at least until it expires after 60 days, there will be the Twitch chat component with it, of which various members from Dark Zero, various members from Space Station, some members from OXG, DG, etc. were in here. There were a couple people from Mirage as well, uh, all stopping by to say various things and give uh, their, their perspective and all that jazz. I think you are always a well-spoken individual. I think you are easily one of the nicest people in our entire scene. And I am very glad to see you flourishing, whether it be with DZ, whether it was with Mirage or now with SSG. And like I said, I'm not biased towards any teams, but I hope that you in particular do well. So thank you so much for joining us. For those of you that are tuned in, this will be on YouTube in about 48 hours or so i'm hoping to get it up by about sunday morning uh our goal was to have these on tuesdays but that's when the super week is so we might just stay on fridays maybe we'll try to do thursdays i don't know we'll figure it out we're gonna kind of be free flowing now that now that troy's not a part of it for the next little while i guess i can just kind of do it whenever i want so thank you very much everybody for hanging out we both appreciate it and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the content Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon, and we'll see you again soon. Later, guys.